106 miles to Chicago. We got a full tank of gas, half a pack of cigarettes. It's dark, and we're wearing sunglasses. Hit it. My name's Katie Hopkins, and I have a couple things to say about this label. It's being used in a disparaging way against people like me who reject the COVID jab. Because of course, anti-vaxxer makes us all sound like madmen, doesn't it? Like we want to dance with the Druids round Stonehenge, or we want to basket weave our own Birkenstocks, knit our own yogurt, and possibly recycle old tea bags as Tampax. What we actually are, of course, is not anti-vaxxers because I've had plenty of other vaccines. What I think we are is body confident. We're confident in our body's awesome ability to take care of itself if we look after our own bodies. You know, it's well known that I'm not a big fan of chubby boom booms because usually I have to pay for their new knees or their new hips. And yet they get the term body positive, even though they're actually morbidly obese. So I think people that reject the COVID jab are actually body confident. You're confident in your own body. And conversely, of course, when you think about people who love something, like people who love Europe are called Europhiles, Europhiles, right? So we could call these people who love the COVID jab, can't get enough of it. We could call them pharmaphiles, couldn't we? Because they love big pharma. And just like the word paedophile, these pharmaphiles also want to fiddle with our children. You're not an anti-vaxxer, you're body confident, and you trust in your body's awesome ability to take care of itself. And then what happens when they arrive at our borders? We, who have erected the Statue of Liberty, they arrive at our borders and we say, go back to where you came from. That is inhumane and it is immoral. I want to be clear to folks in this region who are thinking about making that dangerous trek to the United States-Mexico border. Do not come. Do not come. The United States will continue to enforce our laws and secure our border. There are legal methods by which migration can and should occur. But we, as one of our priorities, will discourage illegal migration. And I believe if you come to our border, you will be turned back. Just a quick PSA. As a conservative, freedom-loving American, I will no longer be using the terms progressive or liberal to describe the left. Why? Why won't you refer to them as that? Why? Why? Why, you ask? Well, because they're not progressive and they're not liberal. Liberal is tied to liberty, and technically, liberals have no problems with free markets, freedom of religion, freedom of speech, and the left has a problem with all of those things. The left wants less individual liberty and freedom and more big government. Like, the left is obsessed with big government. They want big government all up in your business. This is leftist ideology. It's not liberal. Left is also not progressive. Like, at all. Not progressive. The left supports radical Marxist ideology. Marxist ideology. Marxism is not progressive. It's not a new idea either. It's been around for quite a while. Karl Marx was a misogynist and he held racist views. And his ideas 
have killed over 100 million people in the last 100 years. So it's not, uh, not progress. Leftists are not progressive. The left wants biological men competing in women's sports. This isn't progress. This sets women backwards, not forwards, and potentially eliminates women's sports altogether. So it's not progress. The left wants critical race theory taught in our schools. It's not progress to identify everybody by the color of their skin and not the content of their character. That's like segregation, okay? That doesn't move us forward. That moves us backwards, not progressive. Segregation is not progress. Racism is not progress. Marxist class warfare, not progress. Eliminating biological women's sports, not progress. The left is not liberal. The left is not progressive. The left is all about giving absolute power to a small select elite few and robbing the individual of their liberty. All right, this is Lou Benninger, and you're listening to No Hostages Radio, and this is episode 116 on uh, July 19th, 2021. So that will be the earliest you can listen to it. Uh, it will be posted in by Tanner Martis, and uh, much love and appreciation for him and all his work he does remotely for us. And uh, so... Let me give you a few ways to connect with me on other uh, avenues. Uh, you can uh, email me at lou at nohostagesradio.com, lou at nohostagesradio. You might want to tell me about something that's going on in your area or confirm something I'm saying or maybe say something differently. But I will respond to those emails, lou, L-O-U, at nohostagesradio.com. Uh, <clears throat> also, there's a website, nohostagesradio.com that uh, contains these episodes, past episodes, as well as uh, articles that I used to write for the Territorial Dispatch. I don't anymore uh, because of cancel culture. And uh, But now I, I post them on Live with Lou Facebook page, so you can go on there and you can catch articles and uh, <clears throat> uh, podcasts, Live with Lou Facebook page. So... Uh, you can also reach me by phone at 530-713-1838. That's 530-713-1838. So in the past, if you're new to this, I've, I've been writing for a number of years articles uh, about uh, culture and, and what's going on politically in, the, in our society, as well as uh, on the radio and on podcasts. So for a year, I, a couple of years, I took a break from radio, and then the station burned down that I was on, and they just rebuilt it. It's called KMYC. It's fourteen ten a.m. They're still not up on the on website or live stream, but if you've got an old-fashioned radio and you're in Northern California, you might be able to pick it up. I'm on the Saturdays at ten to noon, just a short two-hour talk uh, there, ten to noon on Saturdays, uh, every Saturday. 
but this podcast also is posted every Saturday, and it's just a little longer, so you're going to hear more on this uh, podcast and a little, a little more raw version. I've got to watch a little closer what I say on the uh, live radio, they tell me, so I try to follow the rules there. So, uh, all right, I want to mention some things because this is a podcast versus live radio. Um, right at the beginning of the podcast, if you don't stick with it all the way, things that are coming up because part of the reason I do this uh, show is to uh, be a catalyst and uh, someone that's an initiator of other people doing something. One of the reasons, and maybe the main reasons, we're in such a predicament in the country today is many people thought that freedom wasn't going to cost anything anymore, and you didn't need to go to meetings, you didn't need to double-check, you didn't need to follow up on, you didn't need to hold people accountable. You just thought, oh, I don't really even need to vote. I just, I just, ah, I, th- I, I just hope the same guys get in as last time, et cetera, et cetera. So uh, when we took that attitude, uh, people made decisions that weren't in our best interests. So now we find ourselves in a predicament where actually our school system <clears throat> is a communist school system. And our government is a, <clears throat> is a heavy-handed centralized government like a communist government, totally opposite of what the founding fathers wanted. And so I'm going to give you some uh, activities and places to go learn things. Um, You know, some people are saying, what can I do? There's a lot you can do. So I'm going to talk about some of those. So uh, we've been getting uh, at Church of Glad Tidings, where I have been involved for many decades. Recently, we've been getting these all of a sudden type events where somebody calls and said, hey, We were going to do this stadium type event, but it fell through. And so we're available and we're coming through your area. So would you like to have us? So normally there's a Saturday night church meeting, like some ladies keeps contacting on Facebook and different channels said, well, is there going to be regular church on Saturday nights? Come on, lady. Like we're done. You're having a meltdown in the country. So Saturday night and Sunday morning are like, traditional church times at Church of Glad Tidings in Yuba City. Uh, But this Saturday night, they're canceling the normal flow, like there's no child care, for instance, and it's going to be a a rally, kind of, uh, called Arise Freedom 2021. We didn't create it. It was just brought to us. So there's three speakers that are on the road speaking in city after city, One is Scott McKay. Uh, You probably saw him during the the Trump uh, election coming up, his election, and then following up to the election. He's he's involved in uh, uh, kind of the the behind-the-scenes stuff, what's going on in the country, sleuthing. Uh, Scott McKay is a very well-spoken, well-researched patriot who follows the Q movement and is very familiar with politics and the takedown of the global cabal. He gives a daily podcast, but this video, uh, or it says it talks about a video below, was one of the most popular and succinct explanations of what had transpired since the assassination of our President Kennedy in Dallas, Texas. Uh, this Scott, So Scott McKay is going to be there. Sacha Stone is. Some people think he's a New Age guy, but he's a guy that talks a lot about 5G as well as other uh, other uh, topics 5g is like the up-and-coming thing some people believe it causes cancer they're getting ready to install it all all over marysville it definitely is going to be a way to monitor everybody 
and tell every what you're up to, where you're going, give you a social credit score. And so we're interested locally in opposing 5G. Sacha Stone is going to be there. And then Lee Dundas, who is a international uh, human rights attorney. Uh, she uh, is an Orange County lady, but she's in, uh, located out of Thailand working with the um, the effort to stop uh, trafficking of human beings. But uh, she's a patriot, and she's spoken up here before. Lee Dundas is her name, D-U-N-D-A-S. She lit it up at the Orange County uh, Board of Supervisors meeting recently when they heard that the new health officer uh, was going to introduce the idea of everybody in the county getting a vaccine passport in order to do business in their county. They brought a 1,000 people to the meeting. It totally had a meltdown. She called it the second Holocaust. So she's going to be there. So uh, the only way you're going to get to this meeting, because it's the same night as this show starts, in other words, it's Saturday night, July 19th, the same the night of the morning you're hearing it, and it couldn't have come out. I didn't even hear about it till after last week. So it's very fast. They were just available. They said, can we use your – actually, they wanted to use the property, but we said, forget the property. We'll just change our meeting and bring everybody inside. It's just too hot to meet outside. So that's called the Arise Freedom 2021, and they're, they may be coming to a town near you, so you may watch uh, in other states where they're traveling. So um, so that's Scott McKay, Sacha Stone, and Lee Dundas. Okay, I also want to mention July 3. It's coming right up around the corner. Uh, Dinesh D'Souza, uh, he's a New York Times celebrated writer. Uh, he's got his own podcast. He's on television shows, newscasts all the time. And uh, he is coming out July 3rd to speak for uh, Tamika. Hamilton, who ran against John Garamendi last year, and I believe the election was stolen from her, but uh, that's going to take an investigation of the state voting with uh, Dominion voting here to sort that out. But uh, he's coming back. He was here about this time last year to uh, do a fundraiser for Tamika Hamilton. Tamika is a Dixon resident, Yolo County. And she is running against John Garamendi, who is about as liberal as they come. And Tamika is a military veteran, Air Force veteran. Her husband's a Navy veteran, and husband works for the uh, police department. And uh, they have a family. I think they have five children now. And uh, she's running for Congress. So come out, and uh, Dinesh D'Souza, you can go to vote Tamika. T-A-M-I-K-A dot org, votetamika.org, uh, and you can uh, get a ticket there to come to that. Let's see. Uh, that will be a 3 o'clock in the afternoon event. I think that's Saturday, I think. So uh, also July 16th, we've been talking about this. General Michael Flynn is doing a speaking tour through California. It's uh, anchored here and starting in the north area. At Church of Glad Tidings, this ticket sold out. Uh, there were about 900 tickets available. They sold out. Uh, but there's VIP tickets available uh, at $500 a piece. And you can go on the Church of Glad Tidings uh, website, churchofgladtidings.com, 
and just go down and say you want to buy a ticket if you're interested in that to support Michael Flynn. We're actually trying to pay back a lot of the money the government took for him in trying to uh, ruin his life and put him in jail uh, because he was going to be Trump's top uh, international sleuth guy, uh, strategician. And so uh, Michael Flynn's going to be here, and but there's going to be other things going on. Uh, that morning, there's going to be a veterans breakfast. And uh, let's see, I wrote it down here. At We didn't have room to have it at Glad Tidings, and uh, we wanted to spread the joy. So this is going to be conducted at 1104 J Street called The Bridge, it's a large, large meeting establishment. It's called 530 Event Center, also 1104 J Street. Uh, veterans are all invited, but you need to get a ticket, even though it's not going to cost you anything. You need to get a ticket so they just don't prepare a lot of food and they don't show up. So you need to show your veteran ID when you get there, once you get, even get a ticket. There's going to be a photo op and uh, a group photo, I think, with General Flynn, and you can get copies of that, I think, for free. So uh, you can call Tammy at 530-674-0400, 530-674-0400, Tammy. Uh, or you could uh, just uh, go on email, this may do it, and go bridge530.com backslash contact bridge 530.com backslash contact but since they're offering a phone number a lot of the veterans that are older would probably just like to phone up and say i want to sign up let me let me add them um so that's first thing in the morning and uh it's no cost the church is going to pick up the tab for that as well as the photo op so awesome the pastor there is jim carpenter and longtime friend and uh they got a lot of great people there doing great work. So, okay. So if you get confused about that, let me give you my number, 713-1838. You're a veteran and you can't get through over there, 530-713-1838. You can call me 24 hours a day and you can, uh, we'll get you straightened out. Okay. So I wanted to also mention that uh, a friend of mine who helped uh, us at Juvenile Hall, we did meetings at Juvenile Hall for 30, over 30 years. And in the last about 10 years, uh, Dennis uh, Her Hurlbut uh, decided to help us. He's a musician and a former uh, veteran. Well, he's a veteran firefighter. He still is involved in fire uh, uh, firefighting, uh, running planes that dropped a retardant. But for 20, how many years is, say, 29 years Dennis Herbert has been funding and coordinating Praise in the Mountains. It's it's uh, legendary, and it's at Penn Valley, California, between Grass Valley and Marysville, and it's free. It's a free event. They give away lots of stuff to kids, hundreds of free prizes, a thousand dollar grand prize cash drawing, um, food concerts they they just don't have one band they have one two three four five six seven groups include dennis has a group that's hot unbelievable so this is september 4 2021 it's saturday uh one in the afternoon to eight at night that's at eight at night is when they give away a thousand dollars so 
that would be for a lot of people saying, I'm going to go up there and win that because if there's several hundred people and you get a chance to win a thousand dollars, you're probably going to win that thousand dollars. So some of the group I won't mention all the groups, but, uh, they all kinds of gospel music. And, uh, so Dennis is a guy's name and, uh, his group's called Makaira and they are going to play at six o'clock. They are great, really great. So Dennis has been a really great guy. He loves kids and he's been helping out at juvenile hall for many, many years, but we have been on a covid break because we got run off because they thought we were going to kill the kids with covid would you oh, i want to also mention that um a couple months ago because of the incompetence of the local uh, government here in yuba sutter counties and a huge number of of overdoses and deaths uh of drug addicts primarily by opiate overdoses uh dr cassin and i teamed up to create a flyer called are you ready and it just has a picture of a person down on the ground, said, are you ready? Call us. Narcan prescriptions, opioid addiction treatment, residential drug treatment, counseling service, smoking cessation. Some people have called me and said, hey, Lou, is it just for opioid or, or other drugs? I said, it's for any kind of drugs you want to use. So methamphetamine, I had a guy the other day said, I've been using methamphetamine. I need some help. Call me. He called me on the weekend. He called me at night. I love it. Uh, so opioid, methamphetamine, cocaine, whatever you got going on that you need help off of, we'll help you. So th- here's the deal. I'm going to give you two cell phone numbers. I've already given you mine once. I'm going to give you it again. You can call me, text me, 530-713-1838. We're fast-tracking addicts into help, and to get help. Uh, we want them to survive. We want them to be back with their families, and we want them to be clean and back into a job and, and uh, loving their kids. So Dr. Joe Cassidy, who is the expert on addiction in the in the Yuba Sutter County's area, probably Northern California, in fact, his number, I'm going to give it to you. First of all, I want you to call Peachtree Clinic to make an appointment with him, Peachtree Clinic, and just call him and say, I need to have an appointment with Dr. Cassidy regarding addiction. Just say it just like that. If there's any hesitancy or they say he's too busy or he doesn't take any more clients, don't get angry with him. Just say thank you very much and then text his number. And his number is 530-682-8648. Remember, I said text his number, not call it because he's a doctor. He's practicing. He's not going to take a call when he's working on somebody in the office. So be kind, be considerate, and just shoot him a text. 530-682-8648. Now listen. If you if you don't have a type of phone that you can text with, uh, like you're you're working off a landline or you're borrowing a phone or something something you can't do it, just call me up, just dial me up, and then I I will relay the message. So what we're trying to do is get you help as soon. I know when you're ready, you're ready, and you may not read better if, ready if you wait too long. So we want you to get uh, away from drugs because uh, out on the street, the street drugs, fentanyl's out there, and it's killing people. And uh, we don't, uh, a friend of mine uh, that lived in a neighborhood here in Marysville where I live just died here two weeks ago. He was in his 40s. He got a hold of some heroin with some fentanyl on board and dropped dead. Uh, two, it was, I don't know where it happened, but they didn't have any uh, ability to save him, like shooting some Narcan up his nose. Okay, so <clears throat> this is working. I talked to Dr. Cassie today. I said, how's it going? He said, I'm swamped. That's what we watched. I said, that's exactly what we wanted. We want you to be swamped with people wanting to get off drugs. Um, so I want to mention this. Um, 
Well, I think I'll wait and do it when we when we come back. But uh, because I want to read you a, a nonsensical letter from the local government be, regarding. Uh, in fact, oh, let me tell you this. I got a minute and 30 seconds. So I'm going to tell you this. I just wrote, posted a letter. I posted an article that the government is killing us. The government is thinning the herd, H-E-R-D. You remember the concept of like we want to have herd immunity. That's what we want to do with COVID. We want to get herd immunity. Heard that term maybe for the first time in your life, herd immunity. But what the government has been doing is thinning the herd. They've been killing people off to get rid of people. And uh, people, you think, oh, that's not true. Our local mayor wouldn't do that. Maybe not your local mayor, but Fauci, Gates, uh, Klaus Schwab, there's a whole bunch of them that want to thin the herd and big time. And so that's what's going on with drug drugs around here. And I'm going to read you when we come back. I'm going to read you a document of of the the completely nonsensical response of corporate government, Yuba Sutter, uh, their gobbledygook that they talk uh, instead of actually getting somebody getting some some uh, work done with uh, with addicts so uh, uh we'll be right back with that and uh so stay tuned this is six segments five segments left if you're new and there are about 20 minutes of talk in each one with some clips in between uh, that are educational the whole idea here is to motivate you to get some get in gear and get out of your lazy boy get out from the front of your tv and fight for your freedom because if you don't fight for it i'm not fighting for you i'm fighting for myself and my kids but you better fight for you be right back The answer isn't to make college free. The answer is to make it more unnecessary, which it is for most jobs. I know free college is a left-wing thing, but is it really liberal for someone who doesn't go to college and makes less money to pay for people who do go and make more? I'm asking. <laughs> a third of students now spend less than five hours a week studying, and when they do, it's for their onerous magnum cum bullshit course load of sports marketing, history through Twitter, <laughs> advanced racist spotting, intro to microaggressions, and you owe me an apology 101. <laughs> <laughs> Why is China kicking our ass? Because in 2019, we issued more undergrad degrees in visual and performing arts <laughs> than in computer and information science or math. The answer isn't to make college free. The answer is to make it more unnecessary, which it is for most jobs. Maybe the dumbest thing you can do is go to the place that's supposed to make you smart. That would be college. Now, perhaps I'm biased. I don't have a college degree, although I employ a lot of people who do, and from some of the most prestigious universities in the country. I made a conscious choice. I had clear career ambitions, 
and I didn't see how a college degree was going to get me there. In retrospect, I'm confident I made the right decision. I'm the co-founder and co-CEO of a company called The Daily Wire. We publish news and commentary from a conservative point of view. We have well over 100 employees and an audience which numbers in the millions every single day. Now, I don't have a problem if you go to college. It's a free country. Do what you want. But the idea that somehow college is the great pathway to success and fulfillment, that I don't buy. The left takes a different view. They are obsessed with higher education. To them, it's a human right, and they want it to be free, which just means paid for by people like me, for anyone who's 18 and can breathe. That makes perfect sense from their point of view. One, the idea is a big winner among young people, a critical voting bloc. Who doesn't want something for nothing? Especially something that costs more than a Ferrari. And two, colleges exist to do one thing, create conformity of thought. And since college professors and administrators overwhelmingly lean left, it's a pretty good bet most of their students will as well. But I'm being unfair, you say. After all, we live in a knowledge-based world, and America isn't making the grade. Don't you know we rank 13th in the world in reading, 18th in science literacy, and a pitiful 37th in math? To which I say, so what? It wasn't Singapore that split the atom, or Estonia that mapped the human genome. America is number one in Nobel Prizes awarded, number one in scientific citations issued, number one in popular entertainment, and number one in technological advancement. In short, America creates almost everything. Even what other countries manufacture was probably invented by an American, which is why we're also the number one economy in the world by far. And who made this possible? Well, here are the names of just a few of the individuals who pretty much invented the modern world. Bill Gates, Mark Zuckerberg, Steve Jobs, Michael Dell, and Larry Ellison. None of them has a college degree. Many of the CEOs who run the companies they created do have college degrees, but the founders do not. What they do have are things colleges can't teach you. Curiosity, ambition, and a willingness to fail. Those qualities almost guarantee success. A college diploma doesn't. Want to build an airplane? Engineers educated in aerodynamics are handy to have on your team. Want to invent the airplane? Well, you're better off finding a couple of restless bicycle repairmen. That's what the Wright brothers were. It's not that colleges aren't teaching. It's that too often they're teaching the wrong things, or they're teaching the right things the wrong way. Tech entrepreneur David Galernter says, the thing I don't look for in a developer is a degree in computer science. Quite a statement from a man who teaches computer science at Yale. Tech billionaire and co-founder of PayPal, Peter Thiel, actually pays people not to go to college. Thiel and Galernter understand that colleges are factories, and like all factories, they want to produce a consistent product. That means producing people who all think alike. But innovation and entrepreneurship require people who think differently. Innovators innovate. Colleges teach those innovations. After the fact. If professors could have taught engineers how to build the airplane in 1903, professors would have built the airplane before 1903. They would have invented the personal computer, Microsoft, and social media, too. And it's not only big tech where this applies. 56% of all small business owners in the United States don't have a four-year degree. That's right. The majority of small business owners who employ more than half of American workers either never went to or never finished college.
What all of this says to me is that while college is useful for some people, it's by no means necessary for all. And it's hardly essential for economic success, not for the individual and not for the nation. No one is being deprived of the opportunity to succeed simply because they can't afford a university's steep price tag. In fact, if you go to college, there's a good chance you'll be taught how not to succeed. If I were you, I'd think long and hard before paying for that. I'm Jeremy Boring for Prager University. I've been searching a long time Someone exactly like you I've been traveling all around the world Waiting for you to come through All right, welcome back. And uh, we were talking about uh, government's incredibly incompetent response to COVID, killed people, abandoned people, forbid people to take the proper medications, uh, told people to do things that were going to cause them men be mentally ill, cause fragile people to break, cause people to take their own life caused people to go back to using drugs and alcohol and ended their life um, unintentionally. And uh, so the government is continuing to do horrible things uh, because the government talks about public health. There is no such thing as public health. The government doesn't create health. People create health by getting good information. It's interesting, on my computer, on my computer screen, it says at the bottom, it has a picture of the sun, and it says 81 degrees Fahrenheit, and it says warning. It doesn't, I don't think my computer knows that I can sense on my skin how hot it is in my house or during the day. It's kind of like that we have to pay government $100,000 a year for a public information officer in each county to tell me to wear a hat and drink lots of water and maybe just decide to stay indoors since I'm really old. You know, people... We now pay for a lack of common sense on our part or the fact that we just government just creates new jobs uh, doing stupid stuff that we didn't ever need to be done in the beginning. So for for a long time, the the uh, government has been more and more bureaucratic. And if you know, I, oh, I, anyway, I was telling you, I wrote this article called Thinning the Herd, Government Thinning the Herd. It's on my website, uh, on my Facebook site called Live with Lou. And it's there. It's, it's about 700 words. And it tells exactly the incompetence and how the government has been killing us. So in response to my uh, haranguing about the incompetence of the government getting all this tax money and then getting all this money for drug treatment, and then they don't do drug treatment. And it's laborious. You know, they think that they need to run it, run an addict through something like the IRS does. But addicts don't have any patience. A lot of them don't have any shoes, and it's hot out there. They don't have any transportation. They don't have any money. They've lost their ID. There's a lot of barriers that government makes insurmountable barriers. Instead of, like, taking them and say, you want to go into a rehab? We'll put you in one right now. And uh, so I, maybe if I have time, I'll read my article to you. But, it, but uh, anyway, this, uh, this Grace Espindola writes this letter um, from Grace Espindola. So it's a Zoom meeting. You see what I'm saying? 
if you're an addict now, you've got to go in and get on Zoom. You can't even talk to a real counselor face-to-face because they're afraid of the common cold now. It says, corrected Zoom times for the YSHC-HMA community meeting dates 621-623. Registration is open. So she said... It's just, this is like announcing a party. This is not, you know, if you thought people were really dying and people, a lot of people were dying, a lot of people were being addicted, it would be a little more serious letter. But it says, the uh, Yupasutter Healthcare Council has partnered with HMA Community Strategies in piloting. You know, you know, government always has these pilots. You never do this in, in, in the private sector. You can't afford to do pilots. We're going to pilot the community resources team uh, project to offer support and tech su- technical assistance in harm reduction. How about just getting people off drugs? How about right there? Harm reduction. We can't just say you can't call things as they are because they really don't do anything. They just talk about these philosophical bents they're on. The good news in this, it's just, it's just wonderful good news. I don't see any good news of people dying or people laying around in the 110 degree weather loaded on heroin. I don't think that's humanitarian. I don't think there's any good news about this. She said the good news is that the Yuba Center counties have been selected to participate in a state-funded pilot to reduce drug-related overdose deaths called harm reduction. Now, they're probably going to run out, roll out their needle exchange program. This pilot includes addressing opioids. How do you address opioid? You want to talk to an opioid? Is that a real person? Addressing stimulants and other substances funded by the State Opioid Response Fund. Well, good, we got a response fund. Why don't we get them in? How about getting them into a rehab? The HMA team has been conducting robust outreach. Where's the robust outreach? I never see them in my neighborhood. I don't see any vans coming around here with people walking around with clipboards, talking to addicts. Robust outreach over the last few months. Isn't it just coincidence that they're like now pitching because I've been talking about they haven't been doing Jack Diddley. You know why? Because they've been focused on chasing the common cold and trying to make a pandemic out of it. It is thrilled. It is thrilled at our, this doesn't even make any sense. We need to, we need people to write these letters that actually speak common English instead of some kind of Spanglish. It is thrilled at our local community and leaders. Great enthusiasm. Oh, Maybe it's the HMA team that's thrilled. HMA team is thrilled at the local community and leaders' great enthusiasm for saving lives and increasing access to substance use disorder treatment and harm reduction. Now, listen, it sounds good, right? Oh, we're increasing access. Where's the, how come it was decreased? How come you couldn't get any access? How come when I called over there, which I did, they said, we're out of money. Where's all this money? They were out of money. And then I said, well, can I, I had an alcoholic woman and I said, well, can she said, well, Lou, I know you and I know you're trying to help this woman. Maybe I can get an interview, but there, but the interviewer is in another location and can only come by zoom. We're talking about the only network to clear people to get into rehabs is through the behavioral health program. And now they're talking about, Oh, thank God we're going to have increased access Really? What's that look like? Are we going to go from zero to one, a hundred percent increase? 
She said, it is with great excitement. Oh, my God. This is so exciting. I don't see anything exciting about this. Yet a bittersweet purpose that we are reaching out to you today. The epidemic of opioid and other drug use disorders and overdose is an intense problem. But it's really exciting that we can go out there and help people that are shooting drugs in their neck. Girls are shooting in the neck. Oh, we're, well, I'm just excited we're going to get to go help these gals that are injecting right in their neck. That has touched almost every life. In 2014, California has, since 2014, California has experienced 1,454% increase in fentanyl overdose deaths based on the end of blah, 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 blah. And then she says, in Yuba and Sutter County, opioid overdoses are increasing. You, uh, honestly, that is a huge minimizing statement. Then she said, with three to eight residents dying per year. That is an absolute lie right there. Dying per year and with limited health care system and, and the limited health care system overburdened by all the non-fatal overdoses. Now they're going to have Zoom meetings, and it's going to be an exciting. It's going to be with great excitement they're going to have Zoom meetings. On June 21 from 1130 to 1, they're going to have a Zoom meeting. Oh, it just happened. Maybe they get to eat sandwiches. Hopefully nobody jerks off during the deal like they did on CNN. Wednesday on 623 from 930 to 11, uh, they're going to discuss resources the program has to offer and to hear from the community about what priorities. This is what we call people pooling our ignorance you ever heard of that term like we pool we get together and we pool all our ignorance and come up with consensus and doesn't matter whether it's the most stupid idea in the world we agree on it and we're gonna go for it so anyway we're gonna discuss resources and we're gonna we're gonna have input lists how come we don't have the term stakeholders in there we always need the term stakeholders like who are the stakeholders and how and and they're going to talk about how it will respond when overdose risks spike and harm reduction in our one our pilot pr- project purpose is to build Ubisutter's local capacity to decrease you know all this bs is just all this is university mumbo jumbo bs that's all it is at the end of the day it's oh you got to go get a test here and you got to go get a test here and you got to pay for this and you don't have identification and you just got this and that got that anyway if you want to be a part of this uh call over to behavioral health and see if they can help you i got i got an email passed on to me i'm not on the email i don't want to participate in their zoom because they're stupid they got stupid ideas and they don't give a damn about addicts all they get a damn about is whether the air conditioning is on in their office and they get all their holidays and they get, uh, you know, they get their promotion. That's all they really care about. Whether or not somebody is waiting at the door to get into a rehab when they got to go home and eat a taco, the taco is coming before the addict. The difference between Dr. Cassidy and I and them is that we'll put the taco aside and we'll help the person get into a rehab, right? Now, that is difficult because you know who has all the money? The government has all the money. And you got to jump through all their little hoops. And the fact is, most healthy individuals wouldn't go through all those stupid hoops. You know where the best service in town is? The coroner. They, you know, if, that, if I go over to mental health, 
and I don't have my identification, they probably won't serve me. But if I drop dead, the coroner will serve me, and the coroner will determine, if he doesn't know me, who I am. They'll figure it out, and they'll give me prompt service, in fact, that very hour. Isn't it interesting that we can't serve an addict that is alive, that somebody's son, that somebody's brother, that somebody's spouse, we can't get that addict squared away in 24 hours and get him into a rehab but we could, if he overdosed or she overdosed, we could get him off the street and slide him into the refrigerator over Lakeside Colonial Chapel and figure out their name and their people's name and, and extend our condolences. Now, isn't it just amazing? The, the bureaucracy uh, that's been created in Yuba Sutter counties is nonsensical, it's unnecessary, and it all serves the government employees. It does not serve the addict. It never has. It never will because it isn't in their heart. They are, they are hirelings. What the Bible calls, Jesus called a, a, a shepherd that when the sheep were in need and they were in danger, the shepherd just went home. That's what they're called hirelings. They don't give a damn about the addicts. They never have cared about it. They spent a whole 16 months pissing away their time on this COVID stuff, instead of going down there and dealing with the fentanyl coming into town by the pound and methamphetamine coming into the pound, and it's on the health officer's description of her job that she's supposed to address that with the sheriff and police chief, and she hasn't done it, and now they're trying to patch the boat here, saying, oh, the last few months, we've been really focused, and we're excited. Oh, we're all so excited about the money. You know what I'm excited about? Somebody that goes into a rehab. You know, if government was paid on their outcomes, how many people got off the street and into a rehab and successfully accomplish a six-month stint, they would get people jamming into those. They'd be throwing up buildings, starting rehabs. They'd be filling every rehab. We'd have those the river bottoms empty. But they don't get paid on outcomes. You know, in the private sector, you get paid on outcomes. You don't get the house painted. You don't get the plumbing fixed. You don't get that uh, the hair done right. You don't get something else done right. You don't get uh, the ad built right. You don't get paid. In government, you just show up and breathe. You get paid. It doesn't make a damn bit of difference whether you get anything done at the end of the day or not. You can push paper this way, push paper that, have a cup of coffee, go over and talk to that person. How was the weekend? Who won the game? And you get paid. It's unbelievable. Nobody gets it. Nothing's based on outcome. You just get paid. Just get paid. Oh, yeah, we got paid sick pay, uh, pregnancy pay, holiday pay. I just saw we're Juneteenth. We're now going to get time off for Juneteenth. And I think there was another one that we're going to get another federal holiday, just busting out those federal. These people, for years, these, these government bureaucrats have never produced anything minimal outcome they they don't ever want to talk about the statistics because it shows how what of a horrible 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 job they're doing they think if they attend a meeting they actually accomplish something they got these zoom meetings they don't even want to take inconvenience themselves to meet face to face oh well the spirit of covid is in our government buildings we can't go there honestly people 
Uh, these folks are so dysfunctional. It's a shame. It's a shame. It's a shame. The founding fathers are rolling over in their graves knowing that we gave all our money to these people that do nothing. They, you know, they're, they're obese, both in their spirit and in their body. They just sit around and eat and, and talk and eat and talk and eat and talk and don't get crap done. It's disgusting. And they talk about, oh, anything they do. Oh, one person went into a rehab. Oh, we got one person out of the river bottoms to go into a shelter. Oh, yeah, we should. If we paid you on the basis of how many people got out of those river bottoms, I'm telling you, we would be packing every building up and down the coast or up and down the valley here. It'd be unbelievable. But that's not the way it is. If you want to waste your time on the Zoom, it's it's a total it's going to be a total boondogger. And watch watch them roll out some stupid needle exchange. The government, you know, needle exchanges can be helpful, but if you don't have counseling and rehabs lined up, these guys they can't even run their own health department and get people in there cleared and get the payment paid out to to people like Pathways and other p- folks to get people out. Oh, well, we saw three people last week. I'm telling you, we got, I got people sleeping all over here. I got people in my backyard, the side yards. I had people just till recently for two years shooting heroin right outside my door, out in the open, just tying off and shooting up. It's unbelievable. It's sad. You know what it is? It's an indictment on that, that we don't care about them. Oh, we think... Oh, we chase them around. I was tell I was talking to the captain of the jail, Yuba County Jail. I said, Alan, we have the biggest rehab in the community in Yuba County Jail. We can make that thing rock. And and uh if we could begin to treat people and stop people from overdosing, we could save a lot a lot more lives. And we already are saving lives there. But people think, oh, well, jail, that's all bad. We don't want people to go to jail. Yeah, we want people to go to jail. We need to arrest every addict. The, the problem with the stupid public of voting against uh, to lower the crimes on theft is it took the teeth out of or the, took the ability out of sheriffs and police officers to mercifully uh, arrest these people, get them in, sober them up, get them medically stable so we could talk to them about their addiction problem. And then they would stop using and stop stealing from all these stores. You, you know that 13 Walgreens have packed it up and left San Francisco, not California, San Francisco alone. You know why? Because people just walk in and take stuff off the shelves and they can't do anything about it. Think about it, people. When you're losing, you know, these drug stores make a lot of money. But if you're losing, when people are just taking stuff off the shelves and walk out and and you don't want, uh, and and then they threaten the employees, what needs to happen is people need to be arrested on the street, put in jail. Then there, then you can side door these people out in, into rehabs. But we need to address those issues. And uh, they're just going to, you know what they're going to do? They're just going to have a little a, a chit-chat session, a BS session here over the next couple of weeks on these Zoom calls. Zoomy, zoomy, zoomy. <laughs> waste of everybody's time and the taxpayers money i'm telling you all right so uh let me get back here to my list and uh i i'm so tired how about you i'm so tired of uh hearing about white privilege and and i saw this uh 
you know, I don't know if you've seen any of the depression pictures or the Dust Bowl pictures or in early America, how poor people really were. This one says white privilege is the ability to suffer through whatever life throws at you without blaming another ethnic group. Another one says, I believe white privilege exists when America is all the following. White caucus, white entertainment TV, white only scholarships, NAAWP, white history month, white lives matter, white only clubs, organizations, etc. Until then, the only privilege that exists is liberal privilege. Doesn't that make make sense? You know, we have a black caucus. We have black BET, black entertainment TV, black only scholarships, right? We have black only graduations now. I don't even know that. You know, we fought to have integration. You remember that? We have the thing called National Association of Colored People, NAACP. How about a, in, I remember where there's a college, a college uh, intramural. They want to have an intramural volleyball team, and the team named themselves the White Guys, and everybody had a total meltdown. If they would have called themselves the Black di- Black Guys, we wouldn't have had any problem. I'll be right back. We, it's our second break. Uh, we're going to come up to our third segment. Just a second. Just We hear from a physician in Durham, North Carolina. Good morning. Hi, good morning, Dr. Fauci. Good morning. And, um, Pedro. Um, you've been at the NIH a pretty long time, and it seems to me that during your tenure, our ability to control infectious diseases hasn't improved, but in fact worsened. And even basic health tips such as you can't use antibiotics to treat viral infections has not been adequately communicated to the public because, for instance, people will come in demanding an antibiotic for a common cold which, or any other viral infection, which has certainly served to um, create more resistant strains. Not saying that this has anything to do with this particular SARS epidemic, but um, don't you think it's time that you step down and let someone else who has a more effective message? <laughs> Actually, no. <laughs> <laughs> The World Health Organization has recently confirmed that the COVID-19 PCR test is a flawed procedure. This means that all the estimates of positive cases which you've been hearing about incessantly for more than a year are totally meaningless. This in turn means that the worldwide lockdown had no scientific basis. This also means that social distancing and mask wearing likewise have no scientific basis. As Dr. Michael Shushadovsky details in a new book entitled The 2020 Worldwide Corona Crisis, the WHO now recommends retesting everyone who underwent the faulty PCR test. Are you kidding me? Now, you probably realized or at least suspected that this whole so-called pandemic was a fraud, but now it is publicly admitted by its WHO perpetrators. And at least one reason that might have led you to suspect the motives of Fauci and the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation and the mainstream managed media, was their overbearing and desperate censorship of anyone or anything that challenged or even criticized their narrative. But as we have said here before, constitutionally, lawfully, all of this does not and never did matter. You see, even if the whole pandemic was not the fraud and hoax that it clearly is, the Constitution, the rule of law, is not affected by pandemics or any other emergencies or circumstances. The people 
whose rights have been criminally violated by governors and police and health department officials and others, have a right and a duty to seek justice. And as this false narrative is unraveling, this may well occur. This is Michael Anthony Peruca for Institute on the Constitution, bringing you the American view. The budget requests $26 million to reduce maternal mortality and eliminate race-based disparities in outcomes among, quote, birthing people. Uh, this is a shift from recent budgets, which referred to maternal health issues as women's issues. Um, I've never heard the term before. Can you explain what it means? Uh, absolutely. Uh, there, there are certain uh, people who do not uh, have uh, gender identities that apply to female or male. Uh, so we think our language needs to be more inclusive in how we deal with complex issues. Uh, I think the underlying issue is most important that your colleagues, Lauren Underwood and others, are working on is to try to ensure that uh, those of color who are uh, giving birth leave the hospital alive. And that, that's the issue rather than the, the verbiage. Uh, the verbiage matters, but the underlying issue is extremely important, and a lot of your colleagues are working hard on this uh, because all of those giving birth uh, should have access to the same quality health care. So is the administration's official policy to relate replace the term woman with birthing people? I think our official policy is to make sure when people uh, get service from their government that they feel included and we're trying to... All right, welcome back. Uh, hey, July 4th is coming up, and Chris Ann Hall, who has LibertyFirstUniversity.com. Chris Ann Hall is the, was the Florida state attorney. In other words, they prosecute people at the state level sometimes, and she was one of those prosecuting attorneys. And if you remember back during the Obama years when the Tea Party kind of took off, uh, Chris Ann Hall became very interested or had, had an interest already in history and the Constitution and the founding fathers. And so even though she's practicing law for the state of, of Florida, she uh, began to teach uh, on the side for free at, at public schools. She'd come into a lecture or she would go to like a tea party meeting or a, a service club meeting and give a talk on a particular topic about the Constitution. And one day her her uh, boss came in and said to her, hey, I heard you've been doing thus and so, and you can't do that and work here. And she said, wait a minute, wait a minute. I do it on my own time, and I'm not charging anybody. I'm just talking about the Constitution, you know, the Constitution, the whole country. He said, yeah, 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 but, you know, uh, this is political, and uh, either you need to choose your choose, – teach the constitution or you can choose your job either one so chris ann's husband is jc and uh, he's a pastor and at that time they'd started a small church but it was no salary and so chris ann halt was the primary salary for she jc her husband and her son their son and so um they decided to part ways with the state of florida and began teaching uh, the Constitution around the country. And so she's on the road like a couple hundred, more than a couple hundred days a year. 
And recently she taught like 100 uh, law enforcement officials about uh, various topics that fit into their genre. But uh, she sent out this deal. I'm on her email list or her Facebook list, and you can actually uh, take her classes online at libertyfirstuniversity.com. If you, like your child might, I know they're not teaching that in public school anymore because this is a communist country now. So, but you can still learn it through a number of venues. One of them is libertyfirstuniversity.com. She's a wonderful teacher, very passionate, very clear speaking. I've heard her many times live. So she says, let me clarify the truth about Independence Day because we have Independence Day coming up. Most uh, young people can't even tell you what July 4th is for. But she says July 4th, number one, July 4th is not the real Independence Day. Now, before you say, oh, well, you know, neither is Christmas the day Jesus was born. But let, hear me out. It, these are, these are uh, points in history that are important to uh, be aware of. So uh, July 4th is not the real Independence Day, she said. That's the day the federal government declared a holiday. She said our real Independence Day is July 2nd. July 2nd is when our Continental Congress, hold on here, my phone's dinging. Uh, July 2nd is when our Continental Congress ratified our independence into law. July 4th is when we published the law. John Adams wrote that July 2nd would be our celebration of independence forever. He wrote to his wife, Abigail, on July 3rd. 1776 and he said july 2nd will be a day that we're going to celebrate throughout history uh but uh government changed that it wasn't until late 1800s that the federal government declared july 4th as a hall as as the new holiday uh all right so i want to spend a little time today and i want to mention uh the other day was uh, Flag Day, and uh, so uh, I've been looking at the flag and how we get the flag. And I won't—I'm not going to spend a lot of time on who does you know Betsy Ross put it together. I guess that's how we were taught in school. But it says you know why why the stripes, why the stars, all that stuff. And it says the colors of the of the pales, the vertical stripes, are those used in the flag of the United States of America. White signifies purity and innocence. Uh, red, hardiness and valor. Uh, some Christians believe that red stood for uh, the blood of Jesus. Uh, white, sinlessness. And blue, the color of the chief. Uh, the broadband above the stripes signifies vigilance, perseverance, and justice. Also, this from uh, a book that was published in, in 1977 by the House of Representatives, uh, it's a book about the flag. It says, quote, the star is a symbol of the heavens and the divine gold to which man has aspired from time immemorial. So um, the star is uh, to which man aspired from time immemorial. The stripe is symbolic of rays of light emanating from the sun. Uh, all right. So I wanted to read a few there's tons. Uh, Flag Day uh, was the t t the day is ju June 14th, 
It was established in 1777, established the look of the first national flag. Since then, generations of Americans have celebrated the flag as a symbol of our God-given freedoms and God-blessed nation. Now, you might think, oh, that's a lot of Christian uh, rhetoric. Uh, Really wasn't that way in the beginning. Uh, But actually, it was. Uh, The people at the the beginning felt that that, uh, this was a unique nation. It was a nation founded upon the principles of Judeo-Christian ethic, and and God led them here, just like God led Israel. And so uh, I wanted to read you this. On June 14, 1777, the Second Continental Congress selected the flag of the United States. Our founders were in the midst of fighting an eight-year-long war to come out from under the dominion of the most powerful globalist king in world history. This is an eight-year-long fight. You think, oh, they just had one fight, and I thought it was over. So on June 14, 1783, George Washington, General George Washington, sent a circular letter to the 13 governors of the newly independent states. I am now preparing to resign, he said. Before I carry this resolution into effect, I think it is a duty to make this my last official communication to congratulate you on the glorious events which heaven has been pleased to produce in our favor. The citizens of America are from this period to be considered as the actors of a most conspicuous theater, which seems to be particularly designed by providence for the display of human greatness and felicity. Heaven has crowned all its other blessing by giving a fairer opportunity for political happiness than any other nation has ever been favored with. Washington continued, warning, according to the system of policy, the state shall adopt at the moment they will stand or fall, and by their confirmation or lapse, it is yet to be decided whether the revolution must ultimately be considered as a blessing or a curse, not to the present age alone, for with our fate will the destiny of unborn millions be involved. Washington's concern for the quote-unquote unborn millions was indicative of the founders who sacrificed prosperity for posterity. You see the difference? Prosperity, they sacrificed their prosperity for posterity. This contrasted with later politicians, including today, who sacrifice posterity for prosperity, yoking future generations with unpopularity payable debt and lawlessness that is exactly right now we don't have a local official or state official in our in our area yuba Sutter, or all the way to the federal that is sacrificing posterity for or they're sacrificing prosperity their wealth their assets. They're not, no one is sacrificing any more prosperity for posterity. Now, why do I say that? Because people go in there, average income people, and come out multi-bazillionaires every single time. So John Adams wrote in April 26, 1777, posterity with a T, not prosperity with a P. Posterity. You will never know how much it costs the present generation to preserve your freedom. I hope you will make a good use of it. If you do not, I shall repent in heaven that I ever took half the pains to preserve it. 
Washington concluded with an admonition to follow the example of the divine author of our blessed religion. I now make it my earnest prayer that God would have you and the state over which you preside in his holy protection, that he would incline the hearts of the citizens. Can you imagine this being written to the states today? That God would incline the hearts of the citizens to entertain a brotherly affection and love for one another, and particularly for the brethren who have served in the field, soldiers. And finally, that he would most graciously be pleased to dispose us all to do justice, to love mercy, and to demean ourselves with the charity, humility, and pacific temper of mind, which were the characteristics of the divine author of our blessed religion, and without a humble imitation of whose example in these things, we can never hope to be a happy nation. Now, there's many other quotes. If you look this up on Flag Day, there's tons of cool stuff you can learn about. Uh, Roosevelt says, this is Franklin Roosevelt. I'm going to close by reading you a prayer. God of the free, we pledge our hearts and lives today to the cause of all free mankind. Grant us victory over the tyrants who would enslave all free men and nation. Grant us patience in the, in the, with the deluded and the pity for the betrayed. Grant us valor that, that shall cleanse the world of oppression and the old base doctrine that the strong must eat the weak because they are strong. Uh, anyway, Ezra Stiles was a president of Yale University and talked about the importance of the flag and honoring the flag and the fact that kneeling is a surrendering. It's an act of surrendering. I'm not going to spend the whole show on this today, but there's some really cool stuff being written here. Abraham quotes by Abraham Lincoln, people from all around the world. There's nothing around the world like the American flag. <clears throat> now, the, what's happening right now is reflected. And uh, this was an item that was written, uh, read uh, by Democrat Congressman, 1963, January 10, Democrat Congressman Albert Sidney Herlong of Florida read into the congressional record the 45 communist goals for America, which included 17, get control of the schools, use them as transmission belts for socialism and current communist propaganda, soften the curriculum, get control of teachers' associations, put party line into textbooks. Right now we're teaching people not about the Constitution, but how to have anal sex. How about that? How to have how to question your own plumbing and think you're the opposite. Number uh, 18, get control of all student newspapers. 19, use student riots to foment public protests against programs or organizations which are under communist attack. Number 25, Break down cultural standards of morality by promising pornography and obscenity in books, magazines, motion pictures, radio, and TV. 27. Infiltrate the churches, replace re revealed religion with social religion, discredit the Bible. That's exactly what happened in COVID. 99% participation by churches. They folded, they folded like a, a deck of cards falling from a, a stacked up. 28, eliminate prayer or any phase of religious expression in the schools on the ground that it violates the principles of separation of church and state. What a complete lie. 
29, discredit the American Constitution by calling it inadequate, old-fashioned. Remember Obama? Oh, it's just old. It's not a living document. It can't, you know, it's just old, old-fashioned. It's out of date. We don't really follow it anymore. Number 30, discredit the American founding fathers. They call them racists. They call them slave owners. They call them all kinds of things, perverts, all that kind of things. When you look down here to Sacramento, you got most of them are perverts. They're, they're molesting. They're interns. They're cheating. They're taking payoffs. It's crazy. Discredit the American founding fathers. Present them as selfish aristocrats who had no concern for the common man. These people laid down. They sacrificed prosperity for posterity. That is not happening no more. Once in a while, you'll run into a Donald Trump who will give up his salary and donate it to government uh, departments. Discredit the American, uh, let's see, 31, belittle all forms of American culture and discourage the teaching of American history on the ground that it was only a minor part of the big picture. That's exactly what's going on with the, with this teaching black nonsense in the public schools. The 1619 project, all the nonsense, the cancel culture stuff. The telling people if they're white, they have to repent of being white. It's just total nonsense. It's it's uh, psychobabble. Number 42, create the impression that violence and insurrection are legitimate aspects of the American tradition that students of special interest groups should rise up and use united force to solve economic, political, and social problems. I don't care how much they rise up. They will never find a more successful, a more amazing economic system that has raised all boats as the tide economic tide went up when you look at pictures of the 1930s and 40s and see how pop people were living in shacks outdoor toilets and you don't see hardly any of that today unless people are strung out on drugs or something wild with them it says here the founding fathers for all their human failings gave a present to future Americans, namely each citizen gets to determine their own destiny, in a sense, be the king of their own life. And then all citizens together are the king of the country. The pledge is to the flag and to the republic for which it stands. Uh, okay, let me let me go down here and then I'm going to finish up and move on. It says those who dishonor the flag are doing these things. They're rejecting equality before the law. They're rejecting freedom of speech. They're rejecting freedom of conscience. They're rejecting freedom of religion and inalienable rights from the creator. Uh, okay. So uh, we're coming, kind of easing up to our uh, end of our fourth uh, segment. I wanted to, I don't know whether I have time here to get to this. Okay, I want to read this about Harry Truman. This is a, this is a, how politicians were back in the day. Harry Truman was a different kind of president. He probably made as many or more important decisions regarding our nation's history as any of the 32 presidents preceding him. However, a measure of his greatness may rest on what he did after he left the White House. The only asset he had when he died was the house he lived in. Isn't that interesting? The only asset Harry Truman had when he died was the house he lived in, which was in Independence, Missouri. His wife had inherited the house from her mother and father and other 
than their years in the White House. They lived their entire lives in that same house. You remember all the mansions that the Obamas are buying on the on the sea where the tide's going to come up and flood them, supposedly? When he retired, look how many mansions, all these, how many places did John McCain have? Six or seven? When Truman retired from office in 1952, his income was a, U, was a U.S. Army pension reported to have been $13,507 a year. Congress, noting that he was paying for his, his own stamps, licking them and taking care of them, granted him an allowance and later a retroactive pension of $25,000 per year. After President Eisenhower was inaugurated, Harry and Bess Truman drove home to Missouri by themselves. There was no Secret Service following them. Isn't that interesting? When offered corporate positions at large salaries, he declined, stating, You don't want me. You want the office of the president, and that doesn't belong to me. It belongs to the American people, and it's not for sale. Even later, on May 6, 1971, when Congress was preparing to award him the Medal of Honor on his 87th birthday, he refused to accept it, writing, I don't consider that I've done anything which should be the reason for any award, congressional or otherwise. As president, he paid for all his own travel, expenses, and food. Modern politicians have found a new level of success in cashing in on the presidency, resulting in untold wealth. Today, too many in Congress also have found a way to become quite wealthy while enjoying the fruits of their offices. Political offices are now for sale. Good old Harry Truman was correct when he observed, my choices in life were either to be a piano player in a whorehouse or a politician. And to tell the truth, there's hardly any difference between the two. We ought to have cloned him, the writer says, for telling it like it is and being frugal with our tax dollars. So we have, uh, he thought about being a musician in a whorehouse or a politician. He said, they're about the same. I totally agree. So we're going to come to the conclusion of our first half here, and we'll be back in a few minutes after these clips. And thank you for listening. Disturbed by the American flag, an MSNBC contributor and New York Times editorial board member has created a bit of a controversy with this comment. Listen. And I was really disturbed. I saw, you know, dozens and dozens of pickup trucks with, uh, you know, uh, explicatives against Joe Biden uh, on the back of them, yep. uh, Trump yep. flags, and some cases just dozens of American flags, which, you know, uh, is also just disturbing. Here to react, Fox Nation host Tommy Lahren. Tommy, have at it. <laughs> well, can you imagine being to the point in this country where you can be on the liberal left and be so offended, so triggered by the American flag, to which I say there are about 200 other countries in this world. Go find one if the American flag triggers you so much. But, you know, this is part of an ongoing problem. We know that the left has been very obvious and very clear about how they feel about a lot of our patriotic symbols. You know, they used to say that the conservative movement, the right, didn't have a monopoly on patriotism. But now in the last several years, they've made it very clear that they don't want to have 
have any part of that pe that patriotic message or those symbols. But at the end of the day, this goes even further than that. The left hates the fact and hates the idea that there are other ideas. They don't like seeing Trump flags. They don't like seeing American flags. They don't like to see anything that challenges their worldview. They think that we should all fall in lockstep with what they believe, how they vote, how see they see the country politically, and anything else to the contrary of that offends them, triggers them, and they're hoping to essentially cancel anything that doesn't agree with their worldview and what that makes them feel comfortable. Well, here's what she says on Twitter. Quote, I see him being trolled with the American flag this morning. Trolling a black journalist with the American flag is not the own some people think it is. And the New York Times says this, quote, New York Times editorial board member Myra Gay's comments on MSNBC have been irresponsibly taken out of context. Her argument was that Trump and many of his supporters have politicized the American flag. The attacks on her today are ill-informed and grounded in bad faith. Do you see, Tommy, a scenario in which that was taken out of context? Listen, you just played the clip, so I guess our viewers can hear and see for themselves exactly what she said. I don't know how you could take that out of context. It was pretty obvious. She also went on to say in those comments that, you know, Americanness has been conflated with whiteness. At the end of the day, this is, again, this is part of this Trump derangement syndrome that continues to this day. But I'll also say how sad it is. I think we all know this. If you see somebody with an American flag in their yard, you probably know that they're a Republican because we have been the party that has embraced patriotism. I wish that that was not the case. I wish that the left and the right, I wish that we both loved our country and loved our patriotic symbols, but unfortunately, that's not the case. So she's going to say that seeing the American flag triggers her because she figures that those folks are probably Republicans, to which I say, at the end of the day, if you don't want the American flag to be taken over by Republicans, then my goodness, enjoy the American flag as much as we do. You can enjoy it too, I promise you. It's for everybody. My name is Hunter Biden, and I am an artist. I'm an artist now, so I like to color and, uh, and I draw things. When my dad was vice president, um, I had an advisory firm and a firm and an investment company, uh, and I made a lot of money. <laughs> I also sat on the board of, uh, an oil and gas company. I have no experience in oil and gas. But now I'm an artist. And again, I am making a lot of money doing it. Uh, some people are paying me $500,000 for a piece. So let me show you some of my work. Uh, this one is a uh, piece of paper that I cut out using scissors. And I put some blue and purple on it using a marker. And this one is starting at 500,000. It's one of my best. Uh, I really put my heart into it. Uh, you can see there's some buildings, uh, a little tree, a couple trees. I, I actually went the next level and drew two trees. This one is a picture of my father. Uh, so it's near and dear. It's near and dear to me. Um, it just, when I see this, I, I see, I see my dad. Uh, this one is another piece I'm featuring right now, also starting at 500,000. Uh, it's just, um, there's so much in this piece. It's more of one of my abstract paintings. Uh, and I've got a lot of bidders going on this now. So, um, it, it'll probably go past 500. It could hit a million. Uh, I will tell you, I have, uh, quite a few big 
big buyers. Uh, they're confidential. I'm not going to tell you who they are, uh, but uh, a lot of people are interested. Well, that's all for now. I uh, I hope you buy some of my paintings. There was once upon a, a time that to be a Republican in this area of the country felt a little bit by a bit like being Gary Cooper in High Noon, out <laughs> outnumbered in a big way. But I remember the story of a fellow who was running for office as a Republican and he was in a rural area and it wasn't known to be Republican and he stopped by a farm to do some campaigning and when the farmer heard he was a Republican his jaw dropped and he said wait right here till I go get Ma she's never seen a Republican before <laughs> so he got her and the candidate looked around for a podium from which to give his speech and the only thing he could find was a pile of that stuff that Bess Truman took 35 years trying to get Harry to call fertilizer. <laughs> so he got up on the mound and when they came back he gave his speech. And at the end of it the farmer said, that's the first time I ever heard a Republican speech. And the candidate said, that's the first time I've ever given a Republican speech from a Democratic platform. <laughs>
such as St. James Hospital and Go Down Moses. The little boy grew up and wrote a book about this Jewish family who adopted him in 1907 and proudly spoke Yiddish fluently. In memory of this family and until the end of his life, he wore the Star of David and said that in this family he learned to live a real life and determination. The little boy's name was Louis Armstrong, the trumpet player. When I was growing up, my dad just loved to watch Louis Armstrong when he was on television all the time. And uh, always such a gracious guy. Um, let's see. I need to do... Let me just give a shout out to a few of the uh, people. I've, I've already mentioned Dr. Cassidy, who supports us here and, and we work together to make a difference for drug addicts. So if you're, you know somebody that's an addict, I had a grandmother call me the other day, said her, sadly, her daughter was on the streets, living homeless in her 50s and was addicted. And uh, so, um, again, if you have people that are addicted, um, again, we can't help them unless they call us. We need to get, the, we need to get our hands on them. But Dr. Cassidy is helping uh, in this effort, and so we want to give him a shout-out for helping the show. Also, uh, Nellie Garcia at North Valley Paralegal, 751 Sutter Street, says people are calling her because they listen to the show. So 751 Sutter Street in Yuba City, that's right right at the base of the 10th Street Bridge, right along the levee, uh, next to American uh, Amerigas. North Valley Paralegal, it, you can reach them at 530-751-9289. Less bureaucratic than attorneys, more honest, less money. Just say that, okay? Also, uh, I talked to Dave Greenis today. We were working together on some projects out repair and remodeling projects at the church of glad tidings and uh dave is uh d continuing his construction company they just stayed busy right through covid and uh so when you're doing good work people remember you there's always people that have money even in a depression so greenestconstruction.com if you want to have a great looking uh, kitchen or bath or an entryway or some remodeling done around the house a deck put on man today tonight it's so smoking hot outside if we had a whole house fan sucking the hot air out of that uh, out of your attic would that be great or not cut down your utility bill you can reach him at greenitzconstruction.com green with etz on the end greenitzconstruction.com you could also go to his facebook page at dave greenitz construction facebook page or you could just dial him up 530-682-9602 when i call him today it said he'll call me right back and you know what he did he called me right back, and we solved the problem. So if you want to reach him, that's how to do it. You could text him on that number as well. Also, Plumbing Doctor, I talked to him today as well. We're trying to sort out some sheetrock repairs, and we were working together on a number of things, the three of us, Dave Greenitz, Ted Holmes with the Plumbing Doctor, and myself. So the Plumbing Doctor is 530-671-9111. They'll fix you up any time of the night or day. And uh, they will help you, and they're honest people. They do good work. And uh, also, Elite Universal Security, Monty Hecker, uh, has been probably one of the longest businesses supporting this show. Monty was in the Air Force, came out, retired, disabled. Uh, but he doesn't look disabled to me, but he, something happened. 
but he's considered a disabled veteran, and he opened up this business, Elite Universal Security, many years ago. Now it's all over the North State. They're protecting residents, businesses, government. Uh, they're also uh, helping people get jobs. He's employing lots of people, so he employs them in a lot of different ways. So you can go to his EliteUniversalSecurity.com website, and he advertises on jobs he has for. If you want to be a guard, he will put you to work. He will train you how to do the job. You think, I don't, you know, how many jobs have you taken where you didn't know anything? I remember my first job, full-time job, my dad got me, helped me connect, and it was in farming, and I knew nothing. I didn't know how to grease a tractor. I didn't know how to irrigate. I didn't know how to run, load up a uh, a double-trailer truck with bins. I Everything, I started from out there z- Total ignorance, but uh, it was the most wonderful six summers of my life. And so you could start with uh, Monty, just if you're a hard worker, honest guy and honest lady. Uh, They hire men and women for their jobs. They just want sharp people. A lot of them go on to work in uh, police, law enforcement, correctional stuff. And so get a good job. So if you need protection or you want to protect people, Call 530-749-0280, 530-749-0280. If you want to look at some of their scheduled classes coming up, you can go to this website, api-academy.com, api-academy.com. All right, so um, let me reach down here and, and uh, see where to go from here. I wanted to mention the uh, more and more states. I just saw where Texas is getting ready to launch a full-on Second Amendment restoration state. In other words, they're going to have no concealed weapon permits. They're going to have offer open carry if you want to carry open. It seemed like Tennessee was another one. But there's a picture here of the freeway out in Clark County, Nevada, when the Bundys cattle were being taken and the government conspired to call them criminals uh, because of the way they handled their land that they had some of it they owned some of it they were leasing from the bureau of land management or had rights for almost a hundred years so the government finally got fed up with the bundys they're a mormon family and and began to took took the cattle i think about a hundred cattle died under the government's control which doesn't surprise you they can't keep things alive so, and, and I just want to, just a shot here of a freeway, and, and it shows uh, patriots laying down on the freeway, pointing guns at, at the uh, government. And so the government had guns, and the patriots had the same guns. And what the government wants you to do is take away all your guns or have more powerful guns than you have. And I got to think about it today. I think, I think a citizen ought to have the right to own a tank or a 50 caliber gun or any a machine gun there should be no limits on the type of equipment that that the public can have because they were the government of the founding fathers said you're going to need that equipment to fight off the government now this picture that i have on my computer of the bundys at this this uh, overpass where the government was taking all these cattle and Bundy supporters showed up on on four wheelers in big trucks on horses and they were all packing 
And so this write-up under this photo says, In 2014, the government tried to forcibly take a cattleman's land over the fact the man's cows were on such land, land that he owned. In other words, the government's saying, you can't have cows on that land. All behind this, the Harry Reid people of Nevada wanted to sell the Bundy property to the Chinese so they could take the minerals off it. Total corrupt, these people. The cattlemen, the cattlemen and his neighbors, armed with the same weaponry as the federal officers, stopped the government from doing so and took, it, took the case to the highest of courts. That said, the Bundy men went to jail for two years without bail. No bail allowed. These people never raped anybody. They didn't slight, slit women's throats. They didn't, uh, they didn't uh, murder children after raping them. They simply had an argument with the government. They stayed in jail in solitary cells for two years, people. You think we don't have political crimes? You think we don't have the Nelson Mandela's of the world right here being locked up? In January 2018, a Supreme Court judge ruled the government was in the wrong and the cattleman and his neighbors were justified in their actions. That cattleman was Cliven Bundy. I think his son, Amon Bundy, or Ammon Bundy, is running against the governor of Oregon in the next governor race. Uh, his case, Bundy's case, was silent in the news because, silenced in the news because it proves the importance of having such guns and proves the importance of the Second Amendment. And to that I say, amen, and what we need is a... Sutter County and Yuba County resolution establishing us as a Second Amendment sanctuary county where we can open carry and we do not have to have weapons permit. If you have to ask the government for a, for a permission to do something, that is not a right. That is not a right. If you have to ask permission, a right is something you don't have to ask permission for. Here's Thomas Sowell today making us one thing about Thomas Sowell and Walter Williams, who's now dead. They always spoke very clearly and simply. He says, have we reached the ultimate stage of absurdity where some people are held responsible for things that happened before they were born? while other people are not held responsible for what they themselves are actually doing today. That's exactly what's going on, people. It's crazy. It is crazy what's going on. Uh, here's something that, that just tweaked my brain. The title is, The Bicycle is the Slow Death of the Planet. You probably thought the goal is to get rid of uh, fossil fuel cars, fossil fuel factories, fossil fuel everything, right? So the general director of the Euro XM Bank got economists thinking when he said a that the bicycle is a slow death of the planet. He said, quote, a cyclist is a disaster for the count." country's economy think about it people 
He does not buy cars and does not borrow money to buy. He does not pay for insurance policies. He does not buy fuel. We're talking about a guy or gal that no longer has a vehicle, right? He just he or she driving a bicycle. He does not buy fuel, does not pay for the necessary maintenance and repairs of the road. He does not use paid parking. He does not cause serious accidents. He does not require multi-lane highways. He does not get fat. Healthy people are neither needed nor useful for the economy. They don't buy medicine. They do not go to hospitals or doctors. Nothing is added to the country's GDP. That's the gross domestic product or the, 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 what we make, what we produce, what we make. On the contrary, every new McDonald's restaurant creates at least 30 jobs, 10 cardiologists, 10 dentists, 10 dietary experts and nutritionists, and obviously people who work at the restaurant itself. Choose carefully. Cyclist or McDonald's, is it worth considering? P.S. Walking is even worse. Pedestrians don't even buy bicycles. Interesting thing, right? How our spending and what we choose to do with life, how it affects everything in our life and all the economic strategies of the future. Ever thought about that? You ever thought that fat people are actually, uh, some people say, well, fat people are causing our insurance to go up because they're using the doctor more than skinny people. Yeah, but fat people die sooner. So they aren't using the insurance and all the the uh, the benefits of the hospital as often as skinny people. Just something to think about. I wanted to read you this. Uh, I want to. It's interesting to think I've lived long enough to see different generation of teens and twenty somethings and how they behave differently. Interesting. Seems to me they've gotten a lot less tough. They're wimpy. They're overly sensitive. They're kind of pissy. Uh, they're kind of uh, they. They're not hard workers. They're not. They're just not tough. They don't have any grit. But um, I read that I. I see these photographs of these people. I talked about a gal that tried to kill Hitler with her brother and her friends. She was a 20-something or 19-something. And uh, their attempt failed, and she was, they were all, their heads were cut off. This is World War II. This is in like the 1700s or 1600s. Their heads were cut off, guillotine style. So here's another lady. Her name's Lipa, L-E-P-A, Radik, R-A-D-I-C with an accent, Radik. Says, to understand how to, not, how to not remain or return, we must understand what has come before. In other words, return to something that is not as good as what we have today. 17-year-old Lipa or Lepa Radik, was a Serbian girl who fought during World War II but never got to see the Nazis lose the war. Same way with the young girl I talked about a week or so ago and Dietrich Bonhoeffer. They were all killed a year or so before the war ended. 
In February 1943, Lippa was captured. The Nazis tied a rope around her neck but offered her a way out. All she had to do was reveal her comrades and leader's identity. They said, and Lippa responded, you will know them when they come to avenge me. This is why we need history to live on and the political correctness brigade to leave it alone. We were what we were and we are what we are. History helps us become. History helps us evolve. History lets us never forget. That's why you need the statues and to remind us of who people were and what they stood for at that time. This lady deserves to be remembered, Lepa Radik. Uh, and then let me read you some more about her. In April, this is World War II, in April 1941 is when the Germans invaded Yugoslavia. They established the independent... And then the Axis, power, the Axis powers established the independent state of Croatia, not Yugoslavia, which included Bozanka, Gradiska, and several surrounding areas. In November 41, Lipa Radik uh, and other family members were arrested by the Nazis, but with the help of undercover partisan associates, in other words, anti-government people, Lipa and her sister Dara, managed to escape from prison on the 23rd of December, 1941. Following her escape, she joined the 7th Partisan Company of the 2nd Krajewski Detachment, in other words, the resistance. This girl is only 16, 17 years of age. So I'm going to continue it just a little bit more when we come back right after this break, and this is our, uh, we're going into our fifth segment. Secretary, I have received, along with Congressman Crenshaw, several hundred whistleblower complaints about Pentagon extremist and diversity training. I want to share just a small selection of what your own troops are saying. And, and Mr. Chairman, I have a longer list that I'd like to submit for the record. Without objection. Again, this is just a few examples. One Marine told us that military, a military history training session was replaced with mandatory training on police brutality, white privilege, and systemic Racism. He reported that several officers are now leaving his unit, citing that training. Another service member told us that their unit was required to read White Fragility by Robin D'Angelo, which claims, and this is a quote, white people raised in Western society are conditioned into a white supremacist worldview. A member of the special operations community has told us that they are being instructed that, quote, the U.S. special operations community is racist. One army officer relayed to us the words of his general officer, who told him that the entire U.S. Army is racist. A midshipman at the Naval Academy said classmates are calling America a fundamentally racist place and that this sentiment is not contested by school administrators. An airman told us their unit was forced into a racist exercise called a privilege walk, where members of the wing were ordered to separate themselves by race and gender in order to stratify people based on their perceived privilege. 
One African-American officer disparagingly said, and I quote, the Navy thinks my only value is as a black woman and not the fact that she is a highly trained military specialist. Soldiers have come forward to tell us they are being forced to watch videos about systemic racism and documentaries that rewrite America's history as a fundamentally racist and evil nation. One Space Force officer told me that two guardians left his ranks in a short period of time. One was a young African-American who said that after the training, she would never have joined the military had she known that it was such a hotbed of racism. The other was a white airman who said he didn't sign up to be indoctrinated and filed separation paperwork. Mr. Secretary, we're hearing reports of plummeting morale, growing mistrust between the races and sexes where none existed just six months ago, and unexpected retirements and separations based on these trainings alone. And again, these are not my words. These are the words of your own troops. So I want to ask a few simple but vital questions. Mr. Secretary, do you believe that our military is a fundamentally racist organization? Yes or no, please. Well, I won't give you a yes or no answer on that, Senator, because uh, it, it deserves more than a yes or no. Uh, the military, like any organization, will have its challenges, but I do not believe it is a fundamentally racist organization. Thank you. We, I, I'm, sorry will, to cut you I'm sorry to cut you off, but our time is limited. I think it is a pretty simple question. I'm glad that you agree it is not fundamentally racist. Do you believe that any member of the military should be treated differently based on their skin color and sex? Again, yes or no will do. Again, this question deserves more than a yes or no answer. Uh, it is Mr. Secretary, I'm sorry to cut you off. Our time is limited. It is a very simple question. Should a member of the organization you lead be treated differently, in violation of the Constitution, I would add, based on their sex or the color of their skin? No, I do not believe that. And that is, the, that, that is okay. why we have diversity, equity, and inclusion focus in the military. It's, and the military for decades has been one of the institutions in the society where you are most likely to get ahead based on your own performance, on your own merit, irrespective of the color of your skin or where you came from or who your parents were. Sir, I Mr. absolutely Secretary, agree with that, and I am, I am an example of that. You're distinguished I would also say that— Mr. Secretary, that, Mr. Secretary, your career is an excellent example of that. But I have more questions based on the reports we've seen. The military has included the works of critical race theories on its reading list by authors like Ibrahim Henry Rogers, who now calls himself Ibrahim Kendi and Robin D'Angelo. Mr. Kendi has written, quote, the only remedy to past discrimination is present discrimination. The only remedy to present discrimination is future discrimination, end quote. Do you agree with that proposition? I've not read that, and I, I don't, you know, I certainly don't agree with what you just said, but I, you know, Mr. Secretary, it, it's always important to have the con full context of anything that's, uh, that you're being asked to evaluate. Mr. Secretary, do you believe that race and sex should be the key factor when selecting combat leaders, rather than, say, operational excellence, technical proficiency, leadership, agility, and integrity? I, I do not, uh, Senator. I, I think what you just said should be key components in making any, any selection. Thank, thank you. I'm glad we agree on all this. So let me just wrap up by saying this. If, if troops are subjected to the kinds of trainings drawing on critical race concepts like America and our military is inherently racist, or certain races are inherently privileged, other races are inherently victimized, given what you've said, should they report it up their chain of command or to the inspector general or to other appropriate channels? 
they've always had, yes, they should. They've always had that ability to Thanks. do that, and I would recommend that in the future. I would also say that diversity, equity, and inclusion is important to this military now, and it will be important in the future. And, and so we're going to make sure that we, you know, our military looks like America and that our leadership looks like what's in the ranks of the military. And I, I appreciate I, your support. And, on I, that. and I agree with that. And like I said, the military has always been one of the most diverse institutions in our society where you can get ahead irrespective of the color of your skin or who, you came, who your parents are or where you came from. And I, I'm glad that we agree on that. This is a, not about diversity in general, though. This is about a very specific kind of anti-American indoctrination that is seeping into some parts of our military based on the whistleblower complaints we have received. Thank you. My time's expired. Thank God, I actually pity those poor bastards we're going up against. By God, I do. We're not just going to shoot the bastards. We're going to cut out their living guts and use them to grease the treads of our tanks. We're going to murder those lousy Hun bastards by the bushel. I don't want to get any messages saying that we are holding our position. We're not holding anything. Let the Hun do that. We are advancing constantly, and we're not interested in holding on to anything except the enemy. We're going to hold on to him by the nose, and we're going to kick him in the ass. We're going to kick the hell out of him all the time, and we're going to go through him like crap through a goose. I'm pleased and proud to have been privileged to fight by the side of General George Patton. General Doolittle, soldiers, ladies and gentlemen, coming over here, there was a very great lesson. The first four hours, we passed over a destroyed land, utterly destroyed. You who have not seen it do not know what hell looks like from the top. That's what Germany looks like. That's what Austria looks like. That's what any place that the 8th Air Force and the 3rd Army worked on looks like. You must remember this. That from Brest to various towns in southern Germany and Austria, whose names I can't pronounce, but who, whose places I have removed. <laughs> the Nazis are the enemy. Wade into them. Spill their blood. Shoot them in the belly. When you put your hand into a bunch of goo that a moment before was your best friend's face, you know what to do. It's no fun to say to men that you love, go out, go out and get killed. And we've had to say it. And by God, they have gone. And they have won. I want 
want you to remember that no bastard ever won a war by dying for his country. He won it by making the other poor dumb bastard die for his country. But I want you to remember that the sacrifice that these men have made must not be in vain. This war, as I said, is only half won. All right, now you sons of bitches, you know how I feel. Well, I will be proud to lead you wonderful guys into battle anytime, anywhere. That's all. So in February 1943, Lepa Radik was responsible for transporting the wounded in the Battle of Neretva to his shelter in Gurmik. During the fight against the 7th SS Volunteer Mountain Division, she was captured and moved to Bosanska Krupa, where after torture for several days in an attempt to extract information, she was sentenced to death by hanging. With the noose around her neck, she cried out, Long live the Communist Party and partisans. Fight people for your freedom. Do not surrender to the evildoers. So she was at that time a communist, but she was fighting the Nazis. I will be killed, but there are those who will avenge me. In her last moments at the scaffold, the Germans offered to spare her life in return for the names of Communist Party leaders and members in the shelter. But she refused their offer with the words, I am not a traitor of my people. Those, those who, whom you are asking about will reveal themselves when they have succeeded in wiping out all you evil, evil doers to the last man. Can you imagine today a 17-year-old standing up like that? Those days are over, people. We've created a bunch of actual pussies, generations of pussies that will not stand up to anything, and, and they can't. It's not like they don't have a backbone. They don't have a brain. They don't have a brain that has, can sort the difference between a kingdom and, and a cabbage. They, they don't, what, are they going to stand up for their iPhone? All right, I want to talk about um, a woman that I have great admiration for. I ran into her on uh, the uh, Prager University. She did a talk on Prager University, and, and she said, what, what I can teach you, she writes something, what I can teach you, her name's Carol Swain, Swain S-W-A-I-N, Swain, Carol Swain, she's black. She was a... Uh, professor of history i believe at at university of virginia i'll correct that if i see it. but i want to read you what she said 
Let me tell you about my, uh, how my story ends. I became a tenured award-winning professional professor of political science at an Ivy League university and then at one of the leading universities in the South. Now let me tell you how my story begins. I grew up in rural Virginia, literally dirt poor. I drop out of school in the eighth grade and have three children by the time I'm 20. I consider myself to be a reasonably modest person, but even I had to admit that's quite a journey. How did I do it? I worked hard, she said. Not crazy. 24-7 hard. Just hard. I made good decisions. Not brilliant. Three-dimensional chess decisions. Just good decisions. I met people along the way who helped me and sincerely wanted to see me succeed. Not because they had something to gain, but because they were decent people. Almost all these individuals, by the way, were white. But mostly, I think I was blessed in one crucial way. I was born in America, a true land of opportunity for anyone of any color or background. In this country, where you start your life does not determine where you end up. That works in both directions, by the way. You can start out with every advantage and waste them all. Or you can start out with nothing and become a success. It all depends on you. Your attitude is far more important than your race, gender, or social class in determining what you will accomplish in life. When I hear young blacks or anyone for that matter talk about the systemic racism, I don't know whether to laugh or cry. I want to laugh because it's such nonsense. I want to cry because I know it's pushing untold numbers of young blacks into a dead end of self-pity and despair. Instead of seizing the amazing opportunities America offers them, they seize an excuse to explain why they're not succeeding. I was born into a world where systemic racism was real, no fooling, outright bigotry, back of the bus real. But here's what you need to know. Yes, that racism shaped the black experience, but even then it did not define it. Change was in the air. Call it systemic reform. The modern civil rights movement was in its infancy. And the leaders who fought for equal rights for blacks were men and women of all races. They believed in America and were determined to see it live up to its highest ideals. Ideals manifest in the Declaration of Independence and the U.S. Constitution. Did I know growing up that George Washington and Thomas Jefferson owned slaves? I don't think I ever thought about it. If I did, I'd like to think that I would have had enough common sense to know that we can't judge men who lived 250 years ago by the moral standards of our own day. But I know that Jefferson wrote the words in the Declaration of Independence that made slavery ultimately impossible, that all men are created evil, equal. And I know that Washington, Hamilton, Franklin, Adams, and the rest of the founders risked everything to make my world, my America, possible. How could I be, not be grateful for that and for the sacrifices so many others have made to preserve it? The truth is I cannot remember a time when I did not love America and feel pride in the belief that I live in the greatest country in the world. I know, I knew if I diligently pursued my ambitions, I could leave the poverty of my early years with all its abuse and depression behind me I was fortunate in another way. I was spared the life-sapping negative messages about America that are crippling a generation of young people. These ideas are poison, white privilege, whiteness as a form of prosperity, 
unconscious racism, reparations, microaggressions, police have it out for blacks, that the United States was created to protect and promote slavery. These are the ideas young people are told that they must accept. And then they're told to reject the idea that can save them. The antidote, the success principles that enabled me and millions of other Americans to escape lives of poverty. These principles are complicated. Work hard, aren't complicated. Work hard. Learn from your mistakes. Take personal responsibility for your plans. When I made the decision to get my high school equivalency test or uh, diploma, attend a community college, and then earn four additional college and university degrees, I believed that my education would open doors. It did. It was only when exposed to academic theories of oppression in graduate school that I was informed that because I was black, poor, and female, I could never do what I had already accomplished. Thank God it was too late for these toxic messages to stop me. Don't let them stop you. That is Carol Swain, and unfortunately, uh, I was thinking she at, was at Virginia U University. She is a professor of political science and law. It's amazing. Isn't that wonderful? Carol Swain, S-W-A-I-N, professor of political science and law at Vanderbilt University. Now, I think she may be retired, but if you ever can find a Prager University video clip on YouTube, she is a very, very wonderful and bright person. Uh, all right, let me just go back up here and see if I didn't skip over something I wanted to talk about. Then I'm going to move on down the line. Okay. Did you happen to see, this is so sad, and it is so amazing. There was a, you remember during the Obama administration and the emails, Clinton emails were 30,000 emails were leaked or something. They realized she had her own computer system at her home that was not monitored, that was not safe. And so one day, uh, Attorney General Lynch and former President Bill Clinton, they, they ended up at the same airport, Loretta Lynch and Bill Clinton. And so they had a little meeting. And remember, we originally told they just had a little meeting over they're talking about their grandkids and just just chit chat and just a back slapping type experience. And and but it, what it was was a negotiation of Lynch, uh, Loretta Lynch, passing on prosecuting his wife. Not every newspaper figured that out, or media outlet figured that out uh, in the country. But the guy that figured it out was a guy named Christopher Sign, S-I-G-N, a news anchor for ABC 33 and 40 in Birmingham, Alabama. And uh, so he figured it out and wrote about, so I don't know what he found out, how he found out, what they talked about, but he broke the story, and he's a very popular news guy and has been for many, many years, right? Been years now since that happened. 
His body was found just last week, 45-year-old Christopher Sign. Uh, they found him down in his residence. It's just, it just a continuous thing. What, every few months uh, somebody close to the Clintons dies? This guy's a young guy, healthy guy, super-duper healthy. And uh, he broke the story about that, and it's interesting to think that uh, that he died, you know, after all this time, and the connection between Loretta Lynch and Bill, Bill Clinton. Remember it was uh, Lynch said in a July 1, 2016 interview that she would not recuse herself from the Clinton email investigation, but that she would accept the recommendation of the career agents Da, da, da. In other words, she wouldn't recuse herself from having influence, even though she had a talk with the husband in private. This came after she obtained an ethics opinion from the Department of Ethics office that she was not required to recuse herself. That means for you out there in Oliverst, not be involved. Justice Department Inspector General Michael Horowitz examined the Tarmont meeting as part of a review of the FBI's email investigation. Horowitz said Clinton was in Phoenix for several campaign events, including a roundtable discussion of, with Latino leaders and a campaign fundraiser, and his plane was preparing to depart when he crossed paths with Loretta Lynch, who had just arrived. So, uh, sign Fox News in early 2020, his sign told Fox News that his family received numerous death threats since he broke the story about the meeting in the lead up to the 2016 election, the Trump election. My family, he said, received significant death threats shortly after breaking this story. Credit cards were hacked. You know, my children, he says, we have code words to communicate over the phone. We have secret code words that, that they know, that they can know what to do. It's sad, you know, when we really can't speak the truth anymore and communicate with our own loved ones when people are on our case. It's just, it's sad, but it's, it's, uh, it's where we're at today in the country. So uh, I want to wish also a happy birthday to the U.S. Army, 246 years in operation, June 14th. 1774 to June 14th, 2021. Yeah, I know it's June. You know, when you see this, it's going to be June 19th. We're five days behind. But on a weekly operation, that's what you got to put up with. And uh, how about this from Martin Luther King? You know, people say, oh, yeah. All this new race stuff is totally in the face of uh, black nonviolent workers back in the, back in the 50s and 60s. Martin Luther King said black supremacy is as dangerous as white supremacy. And God is not interested merely in the freedom of black men. God is interested in the freedom of the human race and in the creation of a society where all men can live together as brothers. That's Martin Luther King. Now, the problem is none of the people are willing to say this. In fact, we have these signs that we printed up um, at Glad Tidings talking about uh, I believe in the Constitution, and I am not going to obey laws 
that are contrary to the Constitution. Basically, the picture of an eagle, very nice-looking sign, picture of an eagle, the flag, etc., etc. Businesses are afraid to put that up. I want you to think about this. Businesses are afraid to put up signs in their window that say they support the, the patriotism and the Constitution. Now, people, if you don't think that we have a spell on people, a spell on the country, and people are afraid to be Americans. They're afraid to stand up. They're afraid to be Americans. Uh, that is amazing. It, it's a rare, you, you might, like somebody, uh, my friend Santos, who helps me do the, uh, the show on Saturday morning at KMYC, he said he went after we finished at noon and went over and had lunch at a place called Lambert's which is a new restaurant. It's a very good restaurant down on uh, the end of uh, Bridge Street. And when he, went in the, when he went in the door, he took a photo of this Freedom Patriot 11 by 17 poster, and he sent it to him. He said, see, they got this poster up. And I said, yeah, we made that, dude. And, but they're bold enough to place that sign, and that business is very busy. But other people I know that are, that are, that are America, true Americans, they're afraid to to take a stand and afraid to post that, and so uh, there's a chilling effect when uh, people get killed like this. Now I want to read you. Now there, you may be following. There's all these audits that finally, you know, Trump's been out of office now since January, right? But there's all these audits that are going on in these states, and and they're finding that there was gross negligence and fraud in various states. The same thing uh, Trump said all along, that judges wouldn't hear him out before the election had to be sealed, you know, set. And so, and the inauguration happened. So this is, so there's been a big uproar down in Arizona about the election results. There's been tampering, there's been monkeying around with Dominion's machines. Uh, it's big problems, not just a couple fraud ballots. So, the new attorney general, Merrick Garland, who's a, who's a total snake, who was put up for the Supreme Court in the Obama administration, but fortunately there were enough Republicans to vote him down. They're not give him to vote, but he's a guy named Merrick Garland and did, did a great job of not answering questions when he was interviewed for the job, attorney general of the United States. So he pissed off um, the attorney general of the state of Arizona, who is, his name is Mark Branovich. I think it's Branovich. So he, this is a, a great letter. I have a copy of the letter here, on, and it says, Dear Attorney General Garland, Late last week, you made troubling comments about the ongoing efforts in states to ensure election integrity. Your statements displayed an alarming disdain for state sovereignty as defined under the 10th Amendment of the United States Constitution and the 11 <clears throat> and the election provisions in Articles 1 and Articles 2. <clears throat> Your comments followed a May 5th letter from Pamela Carlin of the Department of Justice's Civil Rights Division, on the subject of Arizona Senate's oversight of the Maricopa County audit, Maricopa County is totally corrupt. This letter appeared more interested in supporting the hyster hysterical outcries of leftist pundits on cable television rather than the rule of the law. 
My office is not amused. This is a stingy letter. My office is not amused by your DOJ's posturing and will not tolerate any effort to undermine or interfere with our state Senate's audit to reassure Arizonans of the accuracy of our elections. We stand ready to defend federalism and state sovereignty against any partisan attacks or federal overreach. It is important to remember that the states created the federal government and not the other way around. America's founders intentionally restrained the federal government's constitutional boundaries to ensure each state could flourish in unique ways. Today, our federal government has largely forgotten the founders' intent, but my office has not. There are no issues more important for states to prioritize than the integrity of our elections. This is the cornerstone of our republic, binding together the people's trust in the whole of government. Today, we, were, <clears throat> we see mistrust in our elections from the Americans on all sides of the political spectrum. This should not be a partisan issue. States can and should take every opportunity to reassure all citizens that their vote counts. Now I'm going to be right back. We just got a couple seconds here, and then we'll we have. Uh, I'm going to finish the last paragraph of this letter. This is very encouraging, and it, we have a real patriot there in Arizona. Be right back. Goodbye, cold. Goodbye, rain. Goodbye, sorrow. Goodbye, shame. I'm heading out west with my headphones on. I'm boarding a flight with a song in the back of my soul. I just found out a ghost left town. The queen of California is a stepping down, 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 down. Let's welcome back to the show the Federalist Chris Bedford. Okay, Daily Caller reporting emails from Democrat Michigan Attorney General Dana Nessel allegedly talking about getting the police to go out and arrest a restaurant owner who defied a lockdown order. She's Marlena Pavlos Hackney. She was about to go on Tucker Carlson tonight. They wanted to get the police after her. This seems really aggressive. What do you say? I think it's completely wild to see this. To see this put in the email form and written down, you know a lot of these kind of orders that might have happened have otherwise just been spoken or said over the phone. This shows a level of arrogance from the attorney general in this case to say, why are we dealing with this? Why is this woman's story getting out? Why is her tale of what she's dealing with getting out? Why wasn't she just simply put into police custody before she could possibly thwart us? And it's also worth mentioning that this email, this is not from April 2020 or June 2020. This was from March of this year when they're trying to arrest entrepreneurs for simply speaking out against their tyranny. The state attorney general from Michigan, Dana Nessel, she emails reportedly an assistant attorney, as you point out, in March. Do we know of her whereabouts? We should have just had her picked up before she goes on TV. This is outrageous. How are we going to respond to this? We hope she gets a full 93 days for this. And then went on to say, do the state police know where she is? So they have plans to find her soon. And they're saying, we will alert the police to this new information. So it seems like the, they're working with the police to go after businesses like this. Yeah, exactly. They are. And of course, you would expect the attorney general attorneys to, to work with police on apprehending suspects. 
But this is an explicitly, seeming, seemingly explicitly a case of this going to the top of police's priorities above other priorities because it's a political thing, because it's causing a headache to powerful people in the state. Now, this has happened before in American history, and we don't like it. It's, it's fantastic for the Mackinac Center and for the Daily Caller to actually expose this and show just how corrupt these leaders are being and how they're using, misusing public funds and public officers to enforce their political will. Well, they're saying, she a spokeswoman for the state AG's office said that Pavlos Hackney, quote, willfully violated the state's food laws, public health orders, and orders of the court. Um, and that her decision to then go on national television and flaunt her noncompliance compromised the state's ability to protect the public. Do you agree with that statement? No, I don't agree with that statement. And I really do think it'd be up for a judge to hold her and uh, to hold her as, as pushing back against his court and defying his court or her court, not for these people to come out. And since the only reason they really we know that okay. they did that, that's not the reason for this arrest is she explicitly wrote it down and said it was because she was going on Got Tucker it. Carlson. That's not endangering the people. That's only endangering her reputation. Pablo Sackney, we should point out, escaped communist Poland and is speaking out. Thank you, Chris Bedford. Thanks for joining us. Good to see you. Next up, Thank Amy. You. you think about this. I'm going to make you feel better about classroom violence. Now, you follow my theory on this. And I say this tonight because I want you to leave here feeling better about everything. See, what, you used to, what we used to think was a big problem was a big problem. Our parents and forefathers, a big problem to them was seeing a son having to go off to war. That was something to worry about. And now, with this generation coming along, we're just paralyzed with fear. We're just worried silly, just silly over nothing. You know what the biggest fear in America is today? Secondhand smoke. <laughs> uh, ooh, ooh, what are we going to do? Look. Ooh. Oh, look, he lit up. He lit up. Get in the house. Get in the house. He lit up. Just, you know, just, oh. I've been all over the country. All over the country. And I know that there's more good people out there than bad. I know there is. Because I've been all over the place. It's just we think everything's out of control because we don't want to take responsibility no more. Like this classroom violence. Now you figure this out. This is going to make you feel good. Because I don't think there's no problem to that at all. The first schoolhouse was built in 1621. A year after the pilgrims landed. Now let's think about this. For the next 370 years... Think about that. 370 consecutive years, there was no such thing as a small child taking a weapon into the classroom. It's a brand new thing in society. You know why? If I was 12 years old, or you, or you, if I was 12 years old and had a handgun, you know what my daddy would have done with it? Shoved it up my <laughs> And then he'd have dared me to <laughs> But my daddy was a man. He had a backbone like a steel rod. And he was in charge. You know what ruined us? This gender equity sensitivity BS. You know, you can't spank your kid. That's abuse. We'll have a family meeting. Let's have a family meeting. Yank, yank. <laughs> yeah. Nobody likes to hear me say this because it's so true. 
I, I know a person that can tell you the exact day classroom violence will end. The day the teacher shoots back. <laughs> oh. All we need to do is open fire on these rug rats just one time. And from that day forward, every parent in America will suddenly have time to search the kid's bedroom. They'll search his dresser drawer. And before he leaves for school, they'll search him. And they'll say, you better not have no damn good. That teacher will kill your ass. All right. Thank you again for listening. We're at our uh, final uh, episode or segment of the episode of 116 today. I want to read you the last paragraph of uh, the Arizona Arizona Attorney General's letter, stingy letter to uh, U.S. Attorney General Garland. His concluding remarks is, say, my office looks for ways to work alongside the federal government to uphold our laws within the constraints of the 10th Amendment and the election provisions in Articles 1 and Articles 2. As I have demonstrated several times, however, Arizonans will not sit back and let the Biden administration abuse its authority, refuse to uphold laws, and or attempt to com- commandeer our state's sovereignty. Now, listen, I've said this over and over again. The federal government didn't come into being and then create a bunch of states, split up the continent. Neither did states come into being and then divide up the communities. What happened was people came here. I'm talking about the people that came from other countries here later as opposed, I know some of you are going to say, oh, well, the Native Americans were here. They didn't hatch. They didn't drop out of heaven. They didn't hatch. They also immigrated to America. They just got here first. Hello. Think about it, people. So when, when other people came, they established, they built houses. They, started, they built dwellings and started to farm. They started to fish. They started to hunt. They did their thing. They did not get here and create a state. They built little towns, villages. And then once a lot of them got together, they wanted to form a state, usually to protect themselves. So when we think about the state of California, where I'm living... The state of California did not design all these cities and counties. The cities and counties came first, and then people decided to have a state to pull them all together. Now we have a governor who's ruling as a tyrant dictator over us like they created us. They did not create us. We created them And now they're sucking all our money to do stupid stuff, like do perverted stuff, like tell tell middle schoolers 
how to jam their penis in somebody's rectum, right? Instead of teaching them about the American flag and how the founding fathers focused, you know, where this country like developed from philosophically. We don't teach any of that. So I want to skip from this. I want to I want to go up here to a letter, a deal. I don't have time to do all this, but I got to spend some time on this. Dennis Prager, you need to watch his videos on YouTube. Dennis Prager at Prager University is one of the smarter guys around. He's Jewish. He wrote an article called The Single Best Thing Americans Can Do to Retake America. What do you think that is? If you even think we need to retake America. Some of you may think, oh, we don't need to do anything. But if you think we need to retake America, what would you think the big deal is? So Dennis Prager says, the most frequent question people pose to me is, what can I or we do to fight back against the nihilistic or that's pleasure-seeking anti-American destruction of virtually all the con- country's major institutions? So here we go. This is, might blow your mind. Dennis Prager, he's very, very bright man. He said the single best thing Americans can do to counter the left-wing attack on America against its freedoms, its schools, its families, its children, its governmental governmental institutions, its sports, its news, its entertainment media, its medical establishment, the CIA, the FBI, the State Department, and the military. What do you think it is? He says it's to take their children out of America's schools. That's a lot of people say that now. Randy Thomason with SaveCalifornia.com or .org, I always forget what it is, Save California, has been saying that for years. Take your kids out of the schools. Other than STEM, that's science, technology, engineering, and math, other than STEM, the vast majority of America's elementary schools, high schools, and colleges and universities teach your child or grandchild almost nothing important prematurely sexualize them, thereby robbing them of their innocence and harm them intellectually and morally. They rarely teach them, for example, art or music, because they are too busy teaching them race-centered hatred of whites, of America, and of America's values. Sending your child or children to most American schools is playing Russian roulette with their values. But unlike the gun in Russian roulette, which has a bullet in only one of its six chambers, the school's guns hold four or five bullets. In many elementary schools, your child is taught that gender is chosen and there is no difference between boys and girls. And then in quotes, in a growing number of schools, the teachers are told not to call their students boys and girls. They are taught about masturbation. And many, ch- many children from the first grade on attend Drag Queen Story Hour, wherein, wherein an obvious man wearing women's clothing, garish makeup, and a wig entertains them. Given that all this is well known, why, why do any non-left-meaning liberal or conservative parents send their children to an American school? That's what I've been asking for a long time. It's just shocking to me. One reason is that they are in denial. Many parents do not want to know what their children are being taught, and their, 
the consequent damage done to them. All the, they don't really believe schools will ruin their child, let alone the child's relationship with their parents. These parents should speak to any of the millions, yes, millions of Americans whose children have contempt for America, for free speech, for their parents as a result of attending an American college or even high school. I meet such people at every speech I give, and I speak to them regularly on my radio show. Ask these parents if they could redo their lives, whether they would keep their child in school. A second reason is they feel they have no other choice. If they remove their child from the public school or, or private school, most private schools are just as committed to anti-American indoctrination over education as public schools. What will they do with their child if they pull them out? They often cannot find a local school that does not harm their child. They cannot necessarily even rely on Christian or Jewish schools. Most of them are as woke as most secular schools. And if they do find a school that teaches rather than poisons, they may not be able to avoid the tuition. The only other option then is to homeschool one's child. The problem is that many parents assume this is essentially impossible to do. For one thing, they assume that one of the parents would have to leave his or her work, which would mean a serious reduction in the income. In addition, homeschooling strikes most people as simply too daunting a task, even if they could afford to take it on. Neither fear is entirely justified. It is true that at least at the onset, a working parent may have to cut back from the full-time work. And it is true that no matter what the family's financial condition, there are challenges to taking one's child out of school and homeschooling them. But given the low intellectual state of the American schools, the damage they do to young children's innocence and the anti-American, anti-white, anti-Western indoctrination in most schools, if you are a parent of school-aged children, what is your choice? Other than A, Find a good school that, B, you can afford. You have no other choice. You are fooling yourself if you think the odds are that after attending American schools from kindergarten to college, not to mention other graduate school, your child will turn out well-educated, intellectually alive, rational, kind, happy, well-adjusted, grateful to the American, to be American and respectful of you and your values. That's Dennis Prager. Listen, people, uh, if you want help, check out Arrow Education at Church of Glad Tidings. And they they have formed a kind of a co-op to help parents that are trying their best to educate their kids outside of school. And I'm telling you, your kids, they your kids uh, will be head and shoulders above anybody in the public school system. There is no way that public school kids will be able to compete with your kids. And they certainly, their minds, your kids' minds will not be polluted with the nonsense that's going on in our public schools. Now I want to, this is a little meme that I saw. And these are great because they bring into perspective a lot of things that we forgot about. I remember as a young boy, my my son teach my dad teaching me how to shoot and um, as soon as I became twelve, which I think there was some kind of a law then you could get a hunting permit or something. 
he took me to the Rod and Gun Club, Twin Cities Rod and Gun Club, where they taught you hunter safety and taught you how to shoot a gun and things like that. And uh, taught you how to handle a gun, etc. So, and I remember going to a bar where, where you could buy a hunting license there at the bar, the Chisler's Inn, and uh, down in downtown Marysville. Unfortunately, the city allowed, I, I shouldn't blame it on the city. It's like somebody owned the building and they just quit fixing it up. And like a lot of buildings in downtown Marysville, they just let them fall over and doze them over. So I, w I remember going and buying uh, my first uh, permit to hunt. And so this means something to me. It says this 125 years ago, it says you didn't have to ask permission from the government. Remember what I said earlier? You don't have a right to do something if you have to ask permission or pay for permission. 125 years ago, you didn't have to ask permission from the government to collect rainwater. Did you know that in some states you cannot collect a runoff off your house? Say the downspout goes into a barrel, so you just collect the water. So then you could use it for some other purposes around your property. No one in the government demanded you to get a permit to collect rainwater 125 years ago or to go fishing. I mentioned my friend Dave Bryan just went and got a fishing license. He mentioned it at church the other day. I haven't bought a fishing license decades or hunting license i have no idea what they cost he said it cost him a hundred dollars i thought really that's significant you have to ask permission from the government to own a piece of property you have to ask permission to start a business build a home get married go hunting own a weapon cut hair like my friend randy mitchell sell a product, right? Get a, get a business license. We could actually list a, probably a hundred things right there that 125 years ago, you didn't have to ask permission from the government to do these things. What's that say to you? That, that is taking away your freedom. When everything you do, you have to ask the government permission. Now, today I was working outside at Church of Glad Tidings trying to help with some landscape changes and repairs and maintenance and a very nice suv with the sutter county emblem on it drove through the back of our property the uh, back side of one of the big buildings and parked and just sat there and i wondered maybe she it was a she maybe she was just needed a place to park and make some notes uh, it was not a police car, but maybe she was writing glad tidings up for something because we didn't ask permission of the county to use our own 40 acres in the way that the county would wish us to use them. Do you, you understand what that's saying? When you, I remember one of the folks that moved out of Marysville during the, uh, the Orville dam threat and he bought a house, they bought a house in, uh, in Idaho, Hagerman, Idaho and he went in to get a building permit because he wanted to put up an outbuilding uh, I can't remember whether it was a garage or you know tool shed or something significant and he went in he had the plan sketched out and he laid it up on the counter to the building inspector's office and the guy says 
yep, what are you doing here? He said, oh, I, I came to get a permit. This is a building I want to put up on my property. He said, yep. He said, it's your, you're going to put a building up on your property. That's the magic word, your property, not my property. And he said, you don't need a permit in this state to improve your property. That would be your property. Now, in California, you would get cited and penalized, and you may have to even disassemble some of the, the building if they caught you right and uh, I remember we were putting some extra siding on the south side of my house because I kept getting a leak down the wall inside the house and so these I kept wondering what maybe the roof was because I had a brand new roof I thought the roof was leaking finally the guys my friend said to me Lou we need to put another layer on the south wall just another layer of siding it's just not keeping it out where whatever you want to say and so they were professionals, and it didn't affect the structure of the house, and it, and it wasn't a, a risk. It wasn't, gonna, it wasn't electricity. It wasn't some – but they were, they were putting on the siding and uh, over this little leak area, and the building inspector stopped by to harass them. Now, this is the type of thing where you, when you read these lists of the way it was 125 years ago, you realize how much freedom we've lost, but you just lose it a little bit. It's like your toenail growing out. You, it, you don't notice it every day. You just all of a sudden it's out there and you need to deal with it, right? How far, how much freedom or how little freedom do you want to have left before you'll ever deal with it? How much do you want to be bullied? Will you just let a bully keep taking your lunch and popping the sack on your forehead? How, how much of your life are you willing to give up without a fight? Just give it away. I have said myself that if I got, I, I would not go and get a, a concealed weapon permit. It violates the Constitution. And if I end up getting pulled over and getting arrested for such a thing... I'm willing to fight that fight, but it's going to be expensive. But that's why the founding fathers said, are you into prosperity or posterity? Most Americans can't spell either word, but they're into making a lot of money and having a lot of stuff. And they don't care whether the country F's off. They don't. It doesn't matter what they say. It's what they do. Now, recently, mainly a bunch of women went out and pressured the Republican Central Committee guys that were the Heater family controlled the thing and had shut it down at the behest of the James Gallagher and uh, Senator Nielsen, and they took the thing over. Thank God. Now, July 13th, Please put on your calendar to go out and sign up to be a committee member on the new Republican Central Committee in Yuba County. It's 7 o'clock, July 13th, and you can go there and you can ask to be appointed right now since we're between elections. Normally, you'd be elected to such a position, but they have they have up to 25 spots, five spots per supervisor region district. 
And some of them may be filled, but hardly any of them are because they're starting out fresh and they're going to start vetting and, and bringing forth some new candidates to run for office that are true conservatives, not rhinos like we have in office right now, including James Gallagher, who, who, who supported taxing you, giving your property to your kids, Prop 19. He endorsed it, got behind it. That is not a conservative, people. He may be a wonderful guy, great to have dinner with and go hunting with, go to ball games with. Lovely guy. I'm not. It's not a. I'm not making a comment on his character. I'm commenting on his politics, and Nielsen's politics. They are not real conservatives. And so, you have an opportunity to get involved. July thirteenth, seven o'clock. Men and women. Got to be a conservative. Got to be Republican. Uh, Hallwood. Community Church, about six miles east of Marysville in the ta- in the community of Hallwood, right on the main drag across from Cordova School. Just look up Cordova School and look across the street. We're out of time. We're out of six segments. And uh, if you want to, uh, anyway, check it out and do something. We're either going to hang together or, as Ben Franklin said, we're all going to hang individually. Thank you for listening. We're so glad to see so many of you lovely people here tonight. We would especially like to welcome all the representatives of Illinois' law enforcement community who have chosen to join us here in the Palace Hotel Ballroom at this time. We certainly hope you all enjoy the show. And remember, people, that no matter who you are and what you do to live, thrive, and survive, there's still some things that make us all the same. You, me, them, everybody. Sugar to 